Okay, we're actually recording now. All right. So you ready to take this thing off? You want to jump into it or you want to mm. keep talking and warming up a Just, little bit? Yeah, let's warm up a little bit. Okay. Just kind of get a little bit of rhythm. Can you hear when I move this mic a little bit? Sounds... Not really. Okay, There's cool. a bit of the Doppler effect when you're moving, but nothing severe. All right, cool. Just, I'm going to try not to mess with it at all, but if, if we hit it or something... Yeah, then, same here. Yeah. I was looking through some of these. Um... I'm feeling a little bit insecure, I guess. There's some of these I'm like, man, I'm not going to have much to say about them. They're so forgettable that nothing special comes to mind. Well, then we critique them. You know, it's funny. Um, I was thinking about this the other day um, in, in a totally different context um, where people are saying, like, things that you love, you shouldn't talk bad about them because you love them. And I kind of think the opposite. Because you love something, let's, let's take it to, to Marvel. Like, I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Because I love it and I'm such a fan... I reserve the right to critique it when I think it's bad. Otherwise, you lose objectivity. There's, there's a difference between hate and critique. Yeah. And that's something that I wish people just in general had a more better grasp of. Like people that you're genuinely trying to help someone, you're giving them critique and, and advice and things you don't like, and they take it as, oh, you hate this. Like, no, I'm you know what's you ironic? that you can improve. You know what's ironic to me about that is that generally speaking, if I don't respect somebody, I won't critique them. It's not I worth only, your time. I only respect people that I think there's a reasonable probability that they're going to benefit from this. And that they'll actually listen. So ironically, like, it. if I'm critiquing you, it's, it's, uh, it's a token of respect. It's yeah. that I actually am willing to risk friction in our relationship to try to make you a better person. Mm-hmm. Because I see the potential that you have. It's funny because you know I go to that, that writing group sometimes. Yeah. When we, take, we read our material and everyone goes around and has a chance to critique it. There's always people, especially the newer people, that like, I'm so sorry to say this, or like I don't really want to say anything bad. Like, no, this is the reason That's what why we're, we're here. here. Like, yeah, like you know, you're you're stepping outside of your own echo chamber for a little bit to get outside opinions. Like, I want you to be honest. It's with the me. whole point of the exercise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I didn't want critique, I wanted to put this out there for critique. You know, I, I understand where that mentality comes from, though, because a lot of people are there, and this might be them tipping their cards to you a little bit. But a lot of people are there to be fed. You know. They, they're not there necessarily to become better writers. They're there because they're social outcasts. They're seeking affirmation. They need somebody to tell them that they're okay, that they're good. Yeah. Um, so they feel self-conscious when it comes to criticizing other people because they would be devastated if they were to be criticized. That's mm-hmm. not what they're there for. They're not there to be criticized. And, yeah. It's, it's like your temperament on your ability to take critique and advice is pretty paramount when it comes to stuff like that because if you're not in the right mindset to accept it you're gonna fight it like i remember there, there's been times when um i thought particular material of mine was was good and i was really excited about it and on those in those cases when i got critiqued i was like it was man like no you're wrong that type of thing but on on a, there's been a totally other chapters where it's like they get the i get the critique back and it's so easy to accept oh dude you are totally right it's just it's weird Mm. Like your, your mindset going into it. One thing though, the animate anonymity of the internet definitely is a game changer because I've posted, I've, I've gone to the group and, oh, yeah. had, and had input from the group and it's, you know, it's, it's constructive and it's helpful. And then I've posted stuff on the internet and gotten critiqued there and it's like, Oh, okay. I suck at this and you all hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, there's somebody said, said about that. That's the whole problem with uh, Twitter is that you have no idea who you're talking to. You could be talking to a bot. It's not necessarily a person. But that anonymity allows them to be vicious. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were walking by this person on the street, people do not talk like that. Oh yeah. Well, even the, I wouldn't even say it was they were vicious. They were just brutally, brutally honest. Like there was this but one, but probably to an unnecessary degree. Yeah. Well, like there was this one where I was I was writing. I ended up changing it because I realized he was right. 
my, my, it's about, you know, my book's about medieval crap. Um, there's this guy, he's walking through a main city, like a capital city, and he crosses over a bridge that's going over like a river. And one guy that critiqued it, he's like, name one city in the history of the world that's had a river running through it like that. And I'm just like, <laughs> there's there's got to be one somewhere. That's funny. Like, I just wanted a river in my city. Yeah. Come on, bro, leave me alone. But, it, you know, it's like, if you're going for realism, that's valuable critique. You know, if there's, because, you know, it's, it's fantasy. I don't, in a fantasy world. Well, it's weird how people are with fantasy worlds. It's like, you can have dragons and fire-breathing monsters and whatever you want. But if you have a guy swinging a sword with two hands when he shouldn't be or like using the weapon wrong dude they'll come after you like oh that's not how you would use that sword uh, that, that's a, that's an arming sword you want to you want to he wouldn't swing it like that huh dude it's it's weird that's almost all of the critique or all of the critique that i actually changed in my book from when i got feedback from the internet most of it was due to technical stuff like that that's actually really surprising to me because the thing that i always fixate on is the story so I've always felt like things like that, while they're useful and you want them to be coherent, you don't want to have anachronisms and you don't want to have uh, you know, uh, uh, continuity error. For me, it's always about the story. And sometimes there's this suspension where as long as they can propel the story forward in a meaningful way that's not ridiculous, I, I, I'm not nearly as, I don't care as much about the fine detail. I, I think for generally speaking, that's true for most readers. But when you're talking medieval fantasy, the people who like medieval fantasy like medieval fantasy, and they've mm. read a lot of it. Um, one of the biggest, there was a, a I don't, can't remember the author who did it, but there was an author who, who basically is like, I want to figure out what, what works and what doesn't work. So he put out a bunch of questions um, to fantasy readers to find out what, what they look for the most in story, storytelling, specifically fantasy, and then what they hated the most. And the top two were, that they liked were world building and um, storytelling, continuity, like no errors. Hmm. And then the thing that they, they hated the most was, um, oh, so sorry, one of the other things was they liked seeing magic systems. Most people who read medieval, they want to see some type of magic. Okay. Um, the biggest complaint people have is when their magic system is either not explained well or uh, violates itself. There's contradictions. Like, you know... Okay. You know, I was just going to say that feels to me like a good segue to maybe just get this thing rolling. Let's do it. All right. So uh, welcome to the Brendan Swan podcast. I'm here with my roommate, Mike, and we're going to talk about the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, what we were just talking about, um, recapitulate what you just said about magic rules in the fantasy universe. They can't violate themselves. Like you, you have to have some consistency. Um, you know, if you picture, picture a movie where some wizard or some person can just deus ex machina at the end of it. Like that's not good storytelling. It has to be consistent. Like if it's there at the beginning, it has to be there at the end. So that's probably been one of the biggest criticisms of the MCU is the unevenness of the uh, capabilities of each of the different superheroes, particularly in the team up movies. Yeah. It's, well, it's, it's one of those things where um, like towards the end of, of Thor Ragnarok, we're, we're getting a little bit of hair surface, but at the end of Thor Ragnarok, Thor was arguably at his most powerful that we've ever seen him. And he goes after the whole thing with Thanos. He goes and kills Thanos in one hit. He's way overpowered for this fight. He's like almost like Superman. You can't have that and have an interesting movie because, oh, just call Thor and he shows up. So what did the MCU did? They nerfed him hardcore. They made him fat. They made him miserable. They made him depressed. And it shows in the movie, like in the beginning of that movie, What's great about that, though, is that's not actually a violation. They actually created no, was, a more subdued character. Absolutely. Just like they did with Hulk in Infinity War. Yeah. Same thing happened to him. 
he was wrestling with that inner conflict. He was incapable of performing. That sounds, that sounds like a different metaphor, but that's all right. Let's keep it clean, Brendan. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. Um, so what we're going to try to do is go in order of, uh, people call this like the watch order. If you were to try to watch these in a chronological order, you can't do that perfectly because some of the movies jump back and forth, but, um, the very first one would be Captain America, the first Avenger. So I'm going to start with my opinion, and I don't want to know what you okay. think about this. I I didn't... So this is not the first MCU film to debut. I think it's third or fourth. Uh, so by this time, we've already seen a few MCU films. We already have a bit of a, an expectation. You know, we've already mm -hmm. seen Iron Man. We've seen Hulk, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, I, I personally didn't love the movie. There's there's a lot of good things in it. Yeah, but for there's sure. there's enough in there that is so cheesy that I almost can't forgive it. One of my biggest complaints about that movie is storytelling is is totally different depending on the genre that you're in. And they're in a superhero genre, and they chose to montage a huge section of where he's taking out all these Nazi bases or Hydra bases. It's like, dude, you showed us like a few clips from like you, we got 30 seconds of Captain America being Captain America, and then went right back into like kind of the slow parts of the movie. Like, I get it. You have a certain time frame that you can operate when you, you can't have a, a four-hour movie, Zack Snyder. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, let's talk about that at the end. Let's go back to the Justice League. We're, we're going we're gonna to compare and contrast with DC for a while. Okay. But, but I'm going to get in front of it and say this. A lot of people are inclined to pick Marvel versus DC. I, I pick Marvel. However, it's not because I don't want, like, it's not a zero-sum universe where DC couldn't also be good. Oh, for they sure. They just aren't. Yeah. So we're going to pick on them a little bit, but it's not, it's in good fun because I honestly want their films to be better. Yeah, it comes, it comes back to the idea of critiquing things you like. Like I like superhero movies. Mm -hmm. I want them to be better. I'm disappointed when they're not good. I would have, so, I would have loved for Justice League to be a good film. It's not. Yeah. Justice League, the Snyder cut was a huge improvement, but uh, yes, it's, huge it's, is a huge is generous. No, I, can, can, I know how much I hated the first one and how much it was just like, this was garbage. And the Snyder Cut, although it took forever to watch, I was like, okay, that's not bad. It's so it's, retrograde it's, in its storytelling. How did we end up on DC so quickly? I know, I know. <laughs> it's just the, the, yeah, the battering yeah. ram. Let's, let's come back to this at the end. Okay. Um, let's, let's talk about Captain America. So a couple things that I really liked about Captain America were the VFX that they did on that movie. I watched a, a, a breakdown on the behind the scenes when they, they actually had a smaller actor stand in for Steve mm. as um, for all the scenes where he's yeah, small. Yeah. And then they did, they did like this face replacement thing to make it look like it was him. Um, at that time, what did, what did that come out in? 2011, 2012? Yeah, 2011, yeah. Yeah. Dude, at 2011, that was, that was way ahead of its time. Um, to be honest, visual effects have, have come such a long way in the past decade. But um, I can appreciate when a film does something that's ambitious and it pays off. It pay, like the, the end effect is invisible. So let me, let me offer my major grievances with this film. Um, unfortunately, so let it be said that the, the trilogy of the Captain America's movies, I actually am surprised to say, turned out to be one of the better trilogies. Um, better solo uh, franchises within the MCU, I would say. With the exception of the first movie. I don't count Civil War as a Captain America I was going to say the same thing. I was going to say it does feel more like an Avengers that is, level that is, film. We're going to call that a 0. .5. An plus, Avengers, Avengers 1.5. Plus it's cheating that, uh, that Captain America 2 and 3 are directed by the Russo brothers, who are phenomenal storytellers. Have you ever watched their uh, pizza school... Pizza... Pizza film making... 
Okay. So no, no, I haven't. They, uh, I don't know what that is. They have. It's like a. They, they basically talk about films in a in, a, in like a pizza parlor, but. Um, We'll take okay, it. so let me get my grievances on Captain America. One, the character himself. Captain America, to me, suffers a bit from what I call the Superman syndrome. Um, 100%. Where he is too virtuous and too good, and for some reason that makes him less likable to me. Like, I, I don't sympathize with him. I don't empathize. I don't root for him nearly as much. Like, he comes in as the scrawny kid who can't get in the military and, you know, yeah. has to finagle his way in. And there's there's something valorous about that. Mm-hmm. Um but he's just too, too good. It's it's it reminds me of Su- Superman. Obviously, is the epitome of this rule. Yes. But Captain America is a huge violation of it as well. It's where, like, writing some of the earliest th- rules you learn in writing is if you have someone you're trying to make good and virtuous, give them some flaws, make them more interesting. If you have a villain, give them some good qualities. Like look at look at Loki as a villain. Loki as a villain, like it's it's so close to the line that in some cases you can say in some movies he's not the villain. Or in some some, and you are obligated times. to love him or hate him. Yeah, but oh, you're, I love you're definitely you're definitely not indifferent. Yeah, he's very interesting. Yeah, and he's he's sympathetic. Like there's times when, like in Thor Ragnarok, when they have their moment when they're like reconciling, and he's like, Loki, you know, you're always going to be me, or you're always going to be you, and I'm always going to be me. That's why you're the god of mischief. And then they do, let's do get help, you know, and they do that's <laughs> a haha. And then Loki immediately betrays him again. You're like, Loki, you just had a breakthrough. Come on, man. Well, that's part of his charm is that he's unpredictable. Yeah. You don't know what to expect. But Captain America, I think Captain America was his most interesting in Civil War. Um, Definitely. So no, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Okay, yeah, we're so doing if, you're, if you're looking at this thing objectively from the beginning, that's what I didn't like about Captain America. He had flaws, but his flaws were almost immediately overcome in the film when he gets the super serum yeah. and he becomes a super soldier. And that's another, that's another critique is introducing a problem and then solving it immediately. Oh, like, give us time to stew in that conflict. Give us time to feel the... the, the I mean, the negative effects of whatever your conflict is. I think they tried to. They just did it a little too quickly. So he he watches Bucky go off. He you know Bucky's Bucky's ostensibly over there fighting, getting all the glory, doing all the things that he wants to be doing, and he's back home trapped. You know, getting beat up in a in an alley. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one of those things like he instantly overcomes it to a, a ridiculous degree. It's not like he yeah. became average. I mean, to be fair, that's what like they, they had a lot of storytelling to do in a short amount of time. So. You got to make creative decisions, but it is one of those things where, like, your, his biggest flaw and something that we want to see him overcome over the type the course of the movie isn't. Mm-hmm. It's overcome way early on, and then the rest of this is just him being a good person and doing what he thinks is right. Like, you know, they they have uh, um, the Red Skull as the villain, but kind of a boring villain even though Hugo Weaving's great. That was going to be my my other criticism is uh particularly costume design. Yeah. I hated the Red Skull. I, it just felt to me like watching uh Batman and Robin. You remember the movie yeah, with like Clooney? Yeah, like super cheesy. It's just like straight from the the mm-hmm. the comic book. Yeah. to the screen. Like no adaptation at all. It, it just it looked hideous. So they they used real prosthetics on that and I think that they should have used facial capture and then edit it in post like you, you've seen yeah. where they film with the little dots on their face mm-hmm. because Hugo Weaving is an exceptional actor I love Hugo Weaving and when you when you lock him up into prosthetics he can't give his full performance you're not seeing it it's like uh, you remember Johnny Depp in Black Mass oh, how, yeah. how many facial tics he had and he just like he's not saying anything but he's acting Hugo Weaving can do that too but not when he's locked up in prosthetics and makeup like that what's the name of the actor in Dark World who essentially had the same critique of his involvement in the he plays um, 
He plays the villain in Dark World. What's his? What's the actor's name? I can't think of is it. Is that right Lee, Lee Pache? Yeah, I think so. Is it Lee, Lee Pache or Lee Pace? I'm not actually sure how it's said. But he had the same criticism that apparently uh, makeup for that movie was just so ridiculous that it would take hours and hours and hours yeah. to get into it. And then ultimately you couldn't perform inside of it. Yeah. Same thing with, um, now this movie, we can critique this all day, but uh, X-Men Apocalypse. So, <laughs> Oscar, uh, Isaacs. Oscar, Oscar Isaacs, yeah. who I love. Oscar Isaacs is great. But they, they locked him in. He can barely rotate his neck. He had all these prosthetics and cut. Like, we get no performance. You might as well have had a, a hand puppeteered thing in there. That film had other problems. For but, sure, for but, sure. But, uh, yeah, I, I do understand that. Um, is there anything else worth saying about Captain America other than, in my estimation, it's it's a build-up film. It's a necessary like, evil. Yeah, it's, yeah. You, you need this to introduce the character. Uh, it's not great. It's it's okay. Yeah. You don't, you, don't, you don't get Avengers. You don't get Endgame if you don't have Captain America. Well, or unless you take the Justice League path. <laughs> <laughs> Again, where you just throw them on screen and yeah. hope everybody likes them and roots for them. Just have Jason Momoa say, my man, and then everyone oh, will dude. love it. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so second up, and this one's kind of surprising because it's one of the most recent releases, but it is chronologically second, Captain Marvel. Oh, man. So I don't have a lot to say about this one just because I, I've only seen it once, in fairness. So mm-hmm. I, I've meant to circle back and watch it again. Um, it... It was acceptable. That's that, that's about as much as I can say. I didn't necessarily walk away from it feeling like it was a good movie. I just felt like it was par. To be, I think that that was one of the first movies that started to like kind of have an agenda that seeped through. And it was a little a little heavy handed. Yeah, and I don't know. Like to me, I'm I'm here to watch a Marvel movie and super. And every time I'm watching a movie. I'm there to watch a movie. I don't at any time ever want to be preached at from a movie, you know? And I don't think, again, Captain Marvel wasn't that bad, but there was just enough of it. I'm like, guys, come on, just just make a superhero movie. We're all here. Like, I love Black Widow. I love the female characters in the MCU. Like, you don't have to keep pointing out, like, oh, hey, this is a woman. Hey, don't forget that this is a woman. Like, we all know. We're all here. We're buying into it. It's it's superheroes. It's all fake. Let's just do it, you know? Yeah, no, I, I definitely relate to... Um that, so this this has always been my rule. I was I was kind of saving this for a little later on, but I'll, I'll kind of feather it in now a little bit, and we'll get back to it when okay. we get to uh, Black Panther. But um, I, I love the idea of inclusiveness and telling stories from perspectives that possibly didn't get enough attention or enough opportunity. I think that's great. But the my demand for that for, under those circumstances is tell good stories. Yeah. Don't like you said. Don't browbeat us over the head with that, that, okay. You, no propaganda, but tell a meaningful, good story. Yeah, I think I think maybe I, I used the wrong word by using agenda. Is, would you say there's a significant difference between the word propaganda and agenda? For, for, oh, for sure there is. My my favorite um, distinction between propaganda and art is the idea that propaganda is something you go into with an expectation of what it is, what story it is you're going to tell, mm-hmm. whereas art is something where you go in with conception. And you don't know the answer. You are actually effectively just exploring, looking for mm-hmm. something. I don't go into it with a prejudice. I don't go into it with a with knowledge of where I'm going to land. Yeah. I'm going into it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna start in this position and see where this journey takes me. And that's art. If you go into it deciding already, hey, we're we're writing historical wrongs. And we are telling this story. It's propaganda. Mm-hmm. There are so many good stories that have yet to be told that I want to hear, and I'm anxious mm-hmm. to hear. But don't heavy-handed, you know. Don't don't beat us over the head with it. Just 
tell meaningful stories from alternative perspectives, voices that we haven't heard enough from. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think what, what that movie suffers from is just that was not done well. Well enough. I, I honestly thought it was passable. I just didn't think it was exceptional in any way. Yeah. Um, Ben Mendelsohn is the quote unquote villain. He's not, he's kind of the, I villain. like Ben Mendelsohn. He, he's great. Ben Mendelsohn has been great in everything I've seen him in. Um, but that role he, he talked with, I don't, he didn't have a lisp or something, but, um, <laughs> this is going to sound weird, but like a little bit of a lisp. He's like this alien creature. He had like soft black eyes when he was in his alien form. I was like, he kind of reminded me like, Oh, that's kind of like a cute, cute animal. In that movie, okay, that's all right. Giving, that's interesting. I, don't, I, don't that know what to, I don't know what to do with that. It was one. Like kind of looking at a puppy on screen, but that was acting. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't. I can't name too many things that he's in, but the one that stands out to me is uh, my favorite Star Wars film, um, Rogue One. Rogue One. Rogue yes. One. I love Rogue One. So Empire Strikes Back, then Rogue One for me. Oh, speaking of that, I actually did want to bring up Star Wars because I feel like the MCU is this generation Star Wars, but it to me. Is, is so much better because the stakes were so much higher. That and we've come, not we, but the industry has come so far in so many ways. Well, I mean, I understand why people love those films, mm-hmm. especially the people who grew up with them as their holy grail of their holy trinity mm-hmm. of films. But for us to have the nearest equivalent to that in our lifetime is the MCU. And the MCU is this, right now it's up to 24 films, I think, but the 22 film arc that they did, mm-hmm. uh, terminating with Endgame. 22 films all telling a singular coherent story. Mm-hmm. Now they, they have individual they have stories. In yeah, absolutely. But to be able to do that, I mean, just the fact that they pulled it off. Yeah. Dude, honestly, I would love to just talk with Kevin Feige for like an hour and just say, at, dude, at what point, at what point did you know what you had? Because honestly, just like you have, you had the Hulk movies and the Hulk, Hulk movies, they were successful, but never like crazy successful. Then you jumped into Iron Man, which went crazy. And then, like I remember watching Iron Man and it's almost like, and dude, all of a sudden I'm in the theaters watching Endgame. Yeah. Like, 2008 dude, and then 2019. It's, it's weird. There was, there was definitely a huge, huge pause that those movies came out over time, but they clearly had a plan at some point. I just want to like, how, when did that plan start? How much did it evolve? Do like, you think that that plan existed prior to 2008 and the, the smash success of Iron Man? I, that's what I would love to ask. Like what, what I would like to know, because obviously Iron Man, which Iron Man is actually the next film in the sequence. Arguably, so. you could say that the introduction of the Infinity Stones was where it starts, and that's Captain America. Well, I was going to posit that. But that's not that's not the, chronological. The post credit scene from Iron Man actually shows Nick Fury emerging from the shadows as you know, ostensibly mm. the leader of the the Avengers. Um, so you can make an argument that that was just an Easter egg for us as the fans. You well, know, you go back even further, or not even further, but th- the end of the Edward Norton Hulk. Yeah, Edward so Norton the Hulk. Edward Norton Hulk chronologically came out after Iron Man. Yes. And the same end cre- year. The same end, year. Well, the end credit scene of that one, though, is... Iron Man coming up to Hulk. the general. No, he's coming up to the... He comes up to the general. The oh, general, is it uh, William Hurt? William Hurt. What's okay. His, it's General something. I can't think of it right now. It's funny, because that character actually made it all the way through the series, too. He was in yeah. uh, some of the later Avengers games, movies. Um, he, he walks up, and he tells the general, he's like, well, we're forming a team. And the general looks at him and goes, who? And Iron Man just kind of looks at him like, who do you think? Because at that time, it yeah. was just Hulk and Iron Man. But, so, but both of those are two, 2008 films. Yeah. Are we on the Hulk then? Uh, no. Uh, next is Iron Man, 2008. The first okay. Iron Man movie. I'm going to say that if you, can, if you consider when the movie came out, 
it was there was nothing else out there. Iron Man is definitely one of my favorite Marvel movies. Now, since we since the end of the end the towards the end of Phase Four, we had all those great movies come out. Some of those are definitely better, mm-hmm. but those are the culmination of we're we're basically seeing Iron Man twenty two at that point because for its time, Iron Man the first one was exceptional. Mm-hmm. Um, it blew out of the water most superhero offerings that we had had. I would say. The Sam Raimi trilogy. Did he do all three? Sam yeah. Raimi did all three? Okay, so the Sam Raimi trilogy, which those aren't horrible. but <sighs> They're not horrible. They're right. not horrible in their moment. They yeah. just didn't live. They didn't, they didn't age well. They're, they're, well, they're very Sam Raimi. Yeah. Like, he has a very unique style. A couple things like, from those movies are when, when you have an audience, as, as Spider-Man is, is arguably one of the most followed superheroes out of, out of all of them. Like He has the most fans, I think. When they got to the point where they were make they made Peter Parker just hateable and everyone hated him, like dude, you're oh, not in, you're, in number three. Yeah, you're not yeah. doing yourself any favors by doing that. Like you're purposely making your audience hate your protagonist. They're gonna hate you for that. They're not gonna hate your they're gonna hate your protagonist, but they're also gonna. And hate it's the one of those things. It didn't have much poetic weight because it was obvious that it was temporary. Yeah, it's like oh, you got well, you got to make him bad so that he can have this redemption arc. It kind of reminded me of we're gonna break subject here, but The Office when Jim and Pam went through like their their bad phase oh, yeah, just yeah. to come back at the end. It's like, dude, we've already watched their bad phases. We've you know, watched this and they're together now. I have, we've I have earned an, this. I have an example that I think is even better than that. Um, okay, go the, ahead. Outdo me. <laughs> the, uh, the solo film that they did in Star, Star Wars. To me, that suffered from the, the knowledge that we have. This is a prequel. There is no point in this movie where I'm ever going to be compelled to that, think that Han is in danger. That he's in danger. Mm-hmm. He's not in danger. Yeah. So every every time they put him in some dangerous, precarious situation where you might think he's he's going to die, mm-hmm. you already know he's not going to die. It's yeah. wasteful. It's it's not good storytelling. Whatever story it is you're going to tell us about in this prequel, and prequels can be done very, very well. Mm-hmm. It can't be about that, because that can't be the stakes, because we already know the answer. Yeah. Just change the stakes. You have to change the stakes. Um, we'll get to Black Widow. Remind me. I'll, I'll talk okay. about what I thought Black Widow did well. All right, so let's continue with Iron Man then. Yeah. Um, I don't think it aged extremely well, but for its moment, the only films that I can say sup- that are superhero films that are even remotely mentionable prior to 2008, you know, Dark, yeah. Knight, Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah, for sure. Christopher but Nolan. The, so the, the Dark Knight trilogy is grounded in realism. Mm-hmm. Now, it's, it's way more than the MCU is. Yeah. Um, when I think about Iron Man, though, I think it is one of the most, one of the best aged movies out of all, out of all the all the first few movies that came out. That's really the only one that I would still watch today and be like, oh man, this is still good. Um, Plus, it's got a killer soundtrack, dude. Do you remember the first time he suited up? Oh, I love oh, it, so good. Um, another thing about that was, so they built that that practical suit out of like fiberglass and plastic or whatever, mm-hmm. and they actually had him suit up, but they ended up just using that for reference he, not the suit up scene but he's actually wearing it and they're filming him so they're getting the lighting they're getting they're able to match everything and then they went in and they completely recreated it in cgi like 100 percent. then they stacked the two shots up together and they showed it to john favreau who he directed the first one and he could not tell which one was real and which one was cgi that's pretty impressive yeah. so um again all, all of the marvel movies have great i'm gonna just say this once they all have great vfx even though even the ones that aren't good movies, the VFX is, is still okay or still Generally good. Speaking, yeah. Um, the Iron, Iron, yeah, Iron Man still is. It would be one of my favorite movies in the MCU. Um, it has a special place in my heart because I, I know that there's the, the Hulk movies and there's other stuff, but I do consider Iron Man the birth of the MCU. So the the Eric Bana Hulk movies and uh, is that the only one? 
Eric Bana, Edward Norton, Lou so, Ferrigno. So, well, Norton is in the MCU. Ferrigno, you know, well, that's what I'm saying is uh, the Eric Bana one is not in the MCU. That's not canon. That was, was Sony the owner back then? I don't know who the owner was, but it's not considered MCU canon. Okay. Yeah, I knew that. But So, um, the only one that is, is the uh, Edward Norton one. Yeah. Now, I've heard, I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that they dropped him from the MCU because he was too hard to work with. And I'm not, you know. That may be true. I remember how skeptical I was when I heard about the change. <laughs> so we're going to get there. Yeah, I don't want to get there right now. Okay. But I will just take the moment to say, Ed Norton is one of my favorite talents out there. The dude mm. can act. He has the chops. Like, he has he some scenes. He killed in Birdman. Birdman's killed one that comes it. to mind. Yeah, yeah so good. Um, yeah, he, he really is a good actor. So I was, I was skeptical that they would change him out for anybody. Um, we'll save the we'll okay. save that for when we get to the team up. But yeah, I, I've heard that, and it's funny because I do like good actors, and it's always it's at the point now if, if you have something negative to say about an actor, I don't especially as one I like, I almost don't want to hear it just because it's inevitably going to put that in the back of your mind, like ah, yeah. oh, dude, kind of lower your, your so thoughts about him. the Iron Man distinguishes itself from a lot of other superhero hero films, um, maybe maybe ever, maybe even up till now, where. Uh, this was the first time a superhero's identity became public. And that's, that was the yeah. finale of the film. You know, the I am Iron Man oh, speech. Dude, with that one moment, they, they flipped the entire genre on its head. Yeah, it like, was, no one knows what's going to happen now. And it was beautiful. It yeah. was so, and, and then they hit with uh, Black Sabbath playing Iron Man mm-hmm. and the credits roll. Like, it was yeah. just a perfect finale to the film. Yeah. Dude, that, yeah, that whole movie. And it's funny because the stakes in that movie are, so Iron Man is, first off, his character arc throughout the MCU. Yes. One of the best character arcs that's ever been put to film. But at the beginning, he's this guy. He doesn't care about anything. You know, he's a, he's a, a playboy, rich. You know, I, if you watch that first scene where he's just gambling when he's supposed to be accepting mm-hmm. the award, I can't remember the amount of the money, but it's some stupid amount of money that he loses. And he's like, oh, well, like... When Rhodey comes up to him and, and hands him his yeah, award at uh-huh. the table. Yeah. And he goes, like, oh, yeah, I don't have one of these lying around. Um, and then even towards the end of that movie, there's, there's a bit of a character arc, but he's still that same guy at the beginning, at the end of Iron Man 1. He's changed a little bit. But the movie for that one was, or the, the, the storyline, he's out trying to, to make more money, trying to sell more weapons, gets kidnapped, realizes that his weapons are being used against U.S. soldiers, and decides, like, he makes a fundamental change. Our entire company, my entire livelihood, I'm going to stop it. Like, he had a fundamental change in that cave. The way that they presented that, too, was actually really impactful for me. When the, the rocket lands essentially next to him and it turns out it's a dud, but he sees Stark mm-hmm. Industries on, that's actually a really good reveal, I yeah. think. It's, it's funny because I've heard, I've heard people critique that scene like, oh, what kind of missile lands on the ground and then explodes? I'm like, dude, like, that's, that's, that's a creative decision. Let's, yeah. it, falls, it, it falls within suspension of disbelief for yeah. me. It's, it's fine. But um, there's, like, they cut this, there's the director's cut and then like, the theatrical cut. Um, the theatrical cut didn't have, there's a scene in there where he pulls off his shirt and he's wearing armor underneath but he's bleeding through it a little bit so it kind of kind of answers the question like why wouldn't that why didn't he die from that well okay well you know some shrapnel got into his blood but this this armor that he's wearing saved a lot of it so i you know i've heard people say like oh that that first you know first missile should have killed him but you know they just cut that cut out the armor yeah people but if that happens then there is no iron man too you know like this is how stories work like suspension of disbelief is a thing now some you can do it well and you can do it poorly. Like, but I will say, you 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 have to play as a as a writer. You have to make sure that you don't overstep. Like I've seen examples where I thought the the writers went too far. This person is too invulnerable. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. Like you know, one of my one of the ones that I thought was way overdone was uh, Sicario Two. 
the second one. I just I hated the ending. They so, they made such an awesome character yeah. with Benicio del Toro in the in the first one. I'm gonna hold off my opinions on Sicario because I think we could do I could I think I could do with you a full hour podcast on just Sicario, Sicario one and two. Uh, Sicario is such a There's, good movie. I really like Sicario. And Sicario two is good. It's very yeah, good. The There's, ending the ending killed it for me though. Th- there are some there, oh, yeah there are some you can't shoot a person in the head and then let them live. Yeah, they you they made some, they made some mistakes, but. They're still good movies. They live and walk on walk out under their own power too much. Yeah. So so I get it. Like a, a missile lands next to a person, it blows up. You you expect there to be some consequences if you introduce. Well, there a, definitely a variable. is. He gets captured. Right. So that's actually a good segue for um, not just uh, his capture, but some of the long term consequences of that that whole uh, debacle was Iron Man two and his health, his declining health. Mm-hmm. He is now has what, how shrapnel's like. It's so the the. the his arc reactor is powering like an electromagnet that's that's keeping the shrapnel in a certain spot so that it doesn't enter his heart and kill him. Right. Um, that that bomb was designed to. They called it the the slow. Kill, what did the the guy in the cave call it? In our village, they call it the slow death or something like that. Yeah. Because it, the shrapnel gets into your blood and it's so small that it travels through your bloodstream and then when it gets to your heart, it just shreds your heart. So um, he has. He, that's what he had. In him, and then at the end of Iron Man three, you can see him finally having the surgery to get them removed. But um, I mean, I'm glad they put that storyline to bed because I actually didn't like it. That wasn't so. We talked about well, this they, earlier. So we were comparing and co- contrasting the uh, you know superheroes and having flaws. I don't like physical flaws. I don't like. I I think they're kind of a, a cheating way to make your characters vulnerable. So I'm I'm going to say in Iron Man that's not that wasn't cheating because he didn't create the arc reactor to power a weapon. He created the arc reactor to keep himself alive. He needed to get out that, of the cave. Yeah, well, not even to get out of the cave. His first plan was, if I don't do something to stop the shrapnel from entering my heart, I'm going to be dead in a few days. Mm-hmm. So that was his, his, I have to invent this thing. And that was his, he's in a cave with a bunch of scraps, just like Obadiah, with a bunch of scraps, you know? I mean, I'm fine with it. I just wish they would have left that storyline in Iron Man 1. They brought it into Iron Man 2. Well, okay, that's, 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 again, the... the the, the whole, you got to nerf him a little bit. You, you know, we've seen them. I don't like that. I, I think the character himself, well, his flaws were already manifest. I, it's not, I don't think you don't like it. I don't think you like the execution of it in that particular film. Like the way they did it with Thor was good. That yes, was, that so was well done. It's not, it's not the method of nerf. It's not the, the idea of nerfing someone. It's how well that's done. You, we, the, the, you brought this up earlier. The balance of powers through the MCU, they definitely change, but... You have to have that in storytelling to a degree. It, it, it goes back to the whole suspension of disbelief. If I'm going to believe that there's basically alien gods flying around controlling thunder, I'm going to accept a little bit of, of power level changes. You know, you know I, do, I do agree that in Iron Man 2, well, when we get to Iron Man 2, I'll, I'll throw my critiques of it. It's, it's, felt, it's it felt up like next, a, It felt like a lazy way. Let's just move into it then. One, let me say one thing before. Let me think. I was thinking as we were talking about this of my favorite example of a physical ailment being attached to a character that you're we already like rooting for, where I thought it was done perfectly. Gladiator. In the final sequence before he's going to fight oh, Caesar. Oh, when, when he gets the... When he gets knifed lung. in the side. Yeah. yeah. Because there's no, there's no world in which Caesar, Caesar would have beat... Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What, I can't think of his character name right now. It's Marcus, right? Maximus. 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 Meridius. Yeah. Um, there's, no wor- there's no way that they can have a fight and that he would win. Mm-hmm. So, Well, the one thing that I did like about that movie is very early on in like the, the second or third scene, right after uh, Maximus wins that first battle in Germania, it shows the emperor practicing fighting. And he, he looks like he's pretty competent. Now, the guys, are, the guys he's fighting are moving super slow, and they're obviously not going to hurt the emperor. But 
it was one of those things where at least you know he's he's picked up a sword before and he's done some training. Of course, Maximus is going to beat him. That's why he cheats and stabs him. Right. And then has them conceal it. Um, All right. Yeah. Iron Man 2. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I don't want to spend more than 90 seconds here. I really don't like this movie. Uh, let's, let's talk about one thing. Oh, this is going to come up again, but uh, this is one of the best handlings of a casting change. Oh, yeah. Okay, so do you want to do Go it? Go for it, no. <laughs> so it's it's uh, Don Cheadle walks in to replace uh, Terrence, Howard. Terrence Howard. And they go, Rhodey? And he just looks at Iron Man and goes, look, it's me. I'm here. Deal with it. And that wasn't Rhodey talking to Iron Man. That yeah. was the storytellers talking to the meta. audience. It was very meta. Because yeah, so like, it, it actually fit the scene as mm-hmm, well. Exactly. But it was, it was so well done. Like, boom, it's over. We're done talking about it. Move on. And I respect Terrence Howard quite a bit, but I, I think Don Cheadle was a serious upgrade. Yeah. I really, really liked Don I mean, he, he made that... Terrence Howard moved on to, to a movie that he thought was going to be more, more relevant and more important. And I can respect that decision. Absolutely. I think in, in hindsight, it was the wrong decision It was Red Tails, right? Yeah, Red, it was, it was Red Tails or Flyboys? Was it Red Tails? Flyboys was the James Franco movie. Okay, then it was... It was I think it was, it was Red Tails. Yeah. yeah, I think. It was the... Uh, the, the Tuskegee Airmen? Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. And again... Totally respect the decision and to, to tell stories that you think are relevant. But and, and at that point, you know, how could who, he? Yeah, who knew? How could he have known what was what was coming down the pipe? See, that's know? that's exactly why I would like to talk to Kevin Feige and like, say, like, what point? At what point did you know? You know? Yeah, yeah. What a gamble! You know, yeah. you win some, you lose some. The one, my biggest critique of Iron Man Two is, it was a cool scene. You know, his briefcase mm-hmm. thing. But how much does that thing weigh? <laughs> and and Pepper just throws it out the window like it's twelve pounds, and then this thing turns out to be this badass suit. Like, I don't think that I mean, even occurred to me when watching it. It doesn't the first time because you're you're in the moment. Yeah. But after you've watched it three or four times, you're like, wait a second, how is she picking that thing up? That movie is just deeply uninteresting to me. I just don't really like. I it. did I did like the fact that they kind of started to show the darker side of Stark Industries and the, the bad history. But yeah, overall, not a super interesting movie. Not, I don't feel. I don't think it felt like a cash grab, but definitely not as rooted as other movies in the MCU. It's which, also which leads not, me to believe that they they didn't know at that point. It's not very consequential either. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really take any of the the larger story forward. You could take that movie out of the MCU, and it's not any different. I know. I know. That's why I don't want to spend more than ninety okay. seconds on it because it's kind cool of a waste. That because so that brings us to another one that's uh, a bit underwhelming. We're kind of in the, the dark ages right now of the MCU. There was a couple before they found their feet. They uh, they definitely had to I'm trying to think in my head what the next one is. Go ahead. The Incredible Hulk. Okay. Uh, so we're going to save the casting change for the Avengers when we actually okay. see. But uh, so let's look at this this film objectively. Was this the one with Tim Roth? Yes. Okay. Love Tim Roth in it. I love Tim Roth. The actor. I don't love him in this. I don't like. I don't love anything about this movie. No, I liked Tim Roth's performance in it. But Abomination, the Bad Hulk. Yeah. Terribly executed. Very terribly executed. I, I hate it when they they just try to make things bigger and stronger and faster and, and worse. And it's like it, it becomes totally ambiguous at this point. Like you just keep adding to it. Just keep adding to the ridiculousness of it. And. Like, I get it. They had to go for something that was, quote, unquote, stronger than the Hulk, and Hulk had to overcome it. But it just wasn't executed well, didn't pay off. Do you think that the Hulk, as a character, is capable of holding his own franchise? A lot of people have contested that, and, and I'm not inclined to disagree. There's, there's something to be said there. I, it's because the Hulk is not interesting. Enough. Not interesting enough Correct. to do it himself. Yeah. Now, if you're going to look at uh, Bruce Banner... 
Bruce Banner's the, the interesting part of the story. Hulk is just the brainless Hulk smash. You know, obviously, towards the end of MCU, I think they, they realized that, and that's kind of why they went for the whole Professor Hulk thing, to make both characters more interesting and realize, like, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, the, everything's about Dr. Jekyll until he turns to Mr. Hyde, and he's Mr. Hyde for the short period of time. Same thing with Hulk. Like, Hulk is a brainless good, Hulk smashing. is a good complement to other characters, mm-hmm. I think. Um, we'll get to it, but Ragnarok being a really good example of that. So I don't have much else to say about the Incredible Hulk, uh, yeah. other than I'm glad it's over. And I don't, I don't really, I really don't count it in the MCU. I know it's part of the MCU, especially because of the casting change. Yeah. That that makes it so jarring. Um, if I sit down and we do this every couple of years, we try to sit down and watch the MCU all the way through. The Incredible Hulk is one of the ones that I'm just. I skipped it last I'm time. I'm ready to skip it. I'm ready to skip it, it permanently. Time. I just don't care to watch yeah. it anymore. I have it. I own it. But I own it just because I want the whole set to be intact. Like, I don't, I don't watch that movie, and I don't care about it. So, this brings us up to uh, one of the better introductory films, Thor, the first one. Anthony, Hap- Anthony Hopkins as Odin. Great casting choice. I mean, I love Anthony Hopkins yes. just through and through. The dude is a legend. But to play Odin, who is this, this wise, like, mythical god character, you know, he's, you have Thor, the god of thunder, who is intimidated by this guy. Yeah. Um, so probably, probably my favorite, one of my favorite casting choices in the MCU is Anthony Hopkins as Odin. Um, ah, Tom, Tom Hiddleston as Loki, the introduction of Loki, man, that, you know, you know who really earns, earns it for me down the stretch is Rene Russo as uh, I don't know Thor's mother's name, character name, but uh, I know it. Hold on. I'll, I'll think of it by the time we get to but, it. She delivers a scene in Endgame that I just thought was so beautiful. When she's talking to Thor. Yeah, when she talks, and she realizes that... I love the little nod. She's like, I'm a witch, and then winks at him. Oh, Oh, dude, so good. That scene was so emotionally impactful for me. I thought they just did a beautiful job with it. Yeah. Um, Wow, I I did not realize this as I was scanning through, but did you know that uh, the first Thor movie was directed who directed it? Uh, This is surprising to me. I'm surprised I didn't know. Give me the initials. KB. Oh, dude, it's okay. So I, I can the, give you one more clue. The, the, okay, I know this one, but I, the only reason I know this one is because I was watching uh, at, at the at the beginning of Infinity War. You know how Thor's ship gets destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a distress the distress signal that comes out saying we're we're uh, we're not a violent ship. We're not a warship. We're a civilian ship. Mm-hmm. That's Kenneth Prenneth, Kenneth Branagh. 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 I don't know how it says. That's but. his voice. And that was a tribute to him because he directed the first Thor movie. Ah, That's the only reason I know that. <laughs> okay. For those who don't know, he's a popular actor, um, also a director, but he most recently, maybe not most recently, but one of his recent films is uh, Murder on the Orient, Orient Express, which I loved. I yeah. The uh, the newest one's coming out pretty soon. The Death on the River Nile. Yeah. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, dude. I liked, uh, I liked the first movie. So the first Thor film really is about the brothers. Mm-hmm. It's about Thor and Loki. And uh, setting them up, setting them up as characters in a in a meaningful way to get them ready for what's about to come. But it's really to the dynamic between these two hostile brothers. And I like that movie because they they show off Thor's power a little bit because he's already a uh, a god. Like he he doesn't become Thor at any point. He already is Thor. But then he's stripped of his power and he doesn't have it through the entire movie. He actually basically dies as a human before he gets his powers back. Before. Mjolnir realizes that he is worthy and comes back to him. 
his arc is sort of, uh, if you were to lay transparencies over the top of each other, his arc and Tony Stark's arc are kind of similar. Thor's is way more uh, sad. It's uh, it's devastating. Oh, actually. yeah, he suffers more. He's he's um, he's he's the most he's done the most suffering out of any yeah. MCU. Yeah. What I mean though is they start in a position of intense power um, mm-hmm. and have like egomania to to go along oh, with for it. Sure. And they both kind of go in the same direction towards humility and uh, becoming more virtuous. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be honest, my I think my favorite character is Loki, though. I like Thor is in that movie. Absolutely, yeah. Thor, he's the most Thor, interesting character. Thor is a little bit boring in the first first two movies. He's kind of annoying. Yeah, like um, there, there's now one that scene, script. That script is going to change when uh, we get further down in the MCU. There is one scene that I can't believe made into the movie. So Thor comes down and starts reading these books, right? And he can clearly read English. And he goes, "Oh, this was once discovered by your Hubble telescope." <laughs> Dude, there's no one who would like if you knew our language, if you could read other words, you would never look at Hubble yeah. and see Hubble. Like you're doing that to be cheeky and fun, but it just didn't work for me. His his accent, uh, he gets better at it as it goes, but his his accent is a little inconsistent too. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what he was going for, but there's occasions when his uh, guardian dude, when his Australian oh, dips through, yeah. and you can see yeah. it. It's like ah, yeah. uh, but he really grew as an actor through this through this process. Um, so we'll talk about this when we get to Ragnarok, but I think he was not involved in the character because he, he I think he had probably like have, invested. Yeah, yeah. I think he has, would have some of the same critiques. Like it's, it wasn't interesting at first. It's kind of a pop, popcorn film, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think he, he appeared to have approached it that way. That this is a, I don't know what else, what other work he had done at that time in his career, but this was probably his big, you know, yeah. big ticket. And again, did anyone, did any of these guys know what, what they were about to get into? Well, by this time, you know, because the next film is the Avengers, you know that you're at least heading for the team up film. Yeah. But you, you, that's two films. That's Thor. And then that's Avengers. You don't yeah. know what's going to happen after that. Yeah. They could both flop, you know, and they could be dead. Look at, look at, uh, what's a series that's done that Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> it just ended like they're, they didn't even make the next one. They didn't even yeah. finish it. Yeah. It happens all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I, I doubt any actors are going into it thinking that this franchise is going to fail, but they didn't know what the... the yeah, at what, how, at what point did they know we're going to kill Thanos and everyone's going to be saved in Endgame? At hmm. what point did they know that that's what was going to happen? I think or, you're right. Or something along those lines. I think, I think you said it earlier. I think you're right. I think it was the post-credit sequence of the Avengers, the first Avengers film. Hmm. Uh, I think that's when they introduced Thanos. And that's when they introduced Thanos, but I'm talking about... Because you can introduce Thanos in a million different ways. True. At what point did they know that they were going to go the arc they went through? I don't know. So that's, I bet you they, they put that through all sorts of screen testing and uh, um, what do they call it when you bring people in for reviews? Uh, uh, focus groups? Focus groups, yeah. I'm sure they focus grouped the heck out of that. Sure they did. Yeah. Um, to come up with that ending because that story really is pretty beautiful. Yeah. All right, so that brings us to the first team-up film. Marvel's The Avengers. Uh, this one was directed by Joss Whedon, the only one he directed, I think. No, you know what? He did Age of Ultron too. Yeah. So, <laughs> Joss Whedon did Avengers. Joss Whedon also reshot and re-edited yeah, I know. Justice League. <clears throat> so, I think we'll, we'll get again. We'll do Justice League another time. I love the Avengers. Um, the first one, absolutely. Yeah. So, expectations were extremely high. Now, at this point, we've only had four films going into this. Uh, you had Iron Man 1 and 2, Captain America, so that's so five films. I don't count The Incredible Hulk. 
<laughs> and Thor. So you've had five films, and this is your first team up. Um, take notes, uh, DC Universe. This is how it's done. Stop yep. trying to introduce characters inside your team up films. So it's funny because that I've- was actually done once, though, effectively, and that was with Black Panther inside the MCU, where they introduced a character prior to getting his own solo film, yeah. but did it in an effective manner, and it worked. Well, so Avengers Avengers did this with Black Widow, or they didn't do it with Black Widow, but she because she was an Iron Man two. two, two, yeah, and then Clint Barton was in, in Thor, barely, yeah, but he was but that in, was yeah. his introduction, yeah. But these are, these are people who small roles up until this point. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, Black Widow had kind of a big role in number two. She was it grew yeah. as the as the MCU grew. Um, but like the the what I liked about the Avengers is there's this idea to bring these super humans all together to protect the worlds. They bring them all together and they nearly implode because they can't get along, and egos involved, real stuffs involved, like. The, the, the conflict in that movie is not the the Battle of New York until it is. The conflict in that movie is, holy crap, these guys are going to kill each other, and they may, who knows what they're going to destroy in the process. And, of course, Loki playing into them and helping them, you know, really help. Because if they, if they just, like, uh, Justice League did this. You bring all these guys together, and they just start arguing over nothing, and like, oh, they, they just disagree. Okay, that's such manufactured content or uh, conflict. With Avengers, there's a schemer who's planning this. Like when when uh, when Loki gets when well, he, you can make an argument that Justice League tried to do the same thing with Lex Luthor, but it was just ineffective. Like that's there wasn't that the premise of Batman versus Superman that he wanted them to come together and fight. God, that movie was terrible. Ba- Batman v Superman. Yeah. What are you talking about? Lex Luthor. He he wanted them the, to the movie. I'm not familiar with it. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> no, it doesn't Good for exist. You. That movie does Such not exist. A bad movie. Dude, I remember I remember watching it. I almost I was like I want to get my money back. It's it's just so bad. It's just so bad. So bad. Um, he goes to the gym to prep for Superman. Like, he's lifting weights. That re- that reminds me. We got to talk about the Suicide Squad trailer at the end. Um, oh, gross. <laughs> um, All right, so we are at Marvel's Avengers, uh, the so, first film. This is a, a, a perfect time to talk about. Now, we actually have Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk. I was so mad. I was too. I was so mad about that choice. Until. And never have I ever... Like, oh, I have definitely changed my opinion. I on was that. wrong. Yeah. Definitely yeah wrong. He delivers a really good performance in that, in yeah. that movie. Mark Ruffalo is the perfect Hulk or the perfect Bruce Banner. I can't think of a single movie that wasn't like, I know I'm more familiar with his work now than I was at the time. Mm. But prior to the Avengers, I was only aware of him as like a rom-com person. And that might just be my own uh, un- ignorance speaking, but. Um, He's got the chops. Yeah, he's definitely got the and, and well, and especially since then, he's he's done numbers of roles now mm-hmm. that I'm a big fan of. Um, but at the time, like I just didn't have much, much to say about him. Much, much good to say. Yeah. But then when he has his, that's my secret. I'm always angry, and then kills that worm thing. It's like okay, and then immediately they go into the quintessential hero shot where the camera rotates yeah. around them. Totally would not make sense to do that. Like you're in the middle of a battle, you're not going to have time to pose, but. I loved it. I loved it, it so was much. A good, it was a good shot. And then the Avengers then, theme plays. We haven't even talked about that. Yeah, I was just about to say the same thing. The MCU has such good sound. Yeah. Good, good and music. And it's, it's beautiful how they give every single franchise its own kind of unique mm-hmm. sound so that when they have the team-up films, they can sort of meld those things together in a meaningful and beautiful way. Such a big payoff. And I know we're going to get this movie. I'm just going to say this one thing about it. In Black Widow, the Avengers, team, Avengers theme is, it is hidden throughout that movie. 
And I, I thought that was I, a good I remember good hearing it once. I don't remember. I'm, I know it's more than once. I okay. heard it a couple of times, but anyways. Um, yeah, MCU has great music. They're, they've delivered constantly on those. I love the Avengers theme song. Yeah, me and too. It's, and it's evolved over time. It's changed yeah. to kind of keep up with the times. But um, yeah, so, do, the, so, the, so as far as casting changes, we have two in the MCU at this point. There's not many after that, I don't think. Who's um, the second one you're talking about? Well, we already established Don Cheadle taking oh, over oh, Terrence yeah. Howard. Okay, yeah. Um, that's basically it. I don't think we have too many uh, casting changes beyond that. Maybe smaller Smaller yeah, roles. probably some smaller roles. Um, but yeah, both of I mean, them. They recast Loki as Matt Damon as Loki and Chris Hemsworth or Liam. <laughs> Luke, Luke, Luke Hemsworth, Hemsworth as yeah. Thor. That's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> Matt Damon is the king of cameos. Yeah. He's in What's so the many. one he did? In, he did Deadpool. Deadpool was pretty yeah. funny. Um, he also has, he, well, he's in like the very, one of the very first, I don't know if you can consider this a cameo, but, uh, oh crap, what is the name of that movie where... He's, he's, he's playing in a band and he's, Johnny doesn't know that Fiona and me. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know what that is. What is that movie? It's, uh, I think it's got Eugene Levy in it as the father. Is that, that's not American Pie. No, it's not American Pie. Eugene Levy is the father in those movies. No, it's I got, I'm, getting, I'm getting mixed up. Anyways, we can move on, but. Sure. Um, how do we get off on this? Tan- oh, sorry, I brought up Matt Damon as, as cameos. So the first team up film, I think, was huge success. It got a ninety-one percent Rotten Tomato. Um, not that that necessarily means much. I've noticed that. I, I I don't. I often disagree with Rotten Tomato scores. Um, either I think they are bloated, or I think that they are um, insufficiently uh, acknowledging some of the good movies that have been out there. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, like. I, I don't pay. I really don't even pay attention to them anymore, just because I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna assess the movie on my own. I don't need to. Like, I can make my own decision on if I like a movie or not. What I think they did w- with Avengers very, very well is they had five films leading into this, and consequently, the expectations were extremely high, and they delivered a film that everybody was satisfied mm-hmm. with. And all the heroes got their time on the screen. Yeah, like we actually got to see. We got a little bit of backstory, like you and I, like when 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 Black Widow and and Clint are talking. Yeah, like oh, this reminds me of Budapest. Oh. You and I remember Budapest very differently. Yeah. You know, like, it's, it's something. It's yeah. a little bit of backstory, even for two characters that haven't had their movies yet. Um, you know, you see Hulk smashing, and then they, they have that scene. It's like, uh, it's not a real one but it's like a one one shot where they go through the streets. Iron Man comes down, lands, kills some people, shoots off Captain America's shield, mm-hmm. shoots up into the sky, and then takes Oh, when the camera co- follows every character? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good scene. Like, I like that sequence. Just well-constructed. Because then they, 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 there's so much CGI in that and so many VFX that they had to have planned that so far advanced and then executed it so well and it just it just pays off in the final product all right i hate to say it, but we're going to move on to another I, I, dark I, space to be honest i could talk about avengers for a long time i know right? well there's plenty of other avengers films that i think yeah. are even better than that one and that one was great for its time but i've gone back and watched it now and it's 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 still good well it's, it's still good it is the the only reason why you would say like the only reason why you're saying it's still good and it's not mind-blowing is because we've gotten the we've that's gotten the thing the end. if you graph this thing the 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 thing is going up the yeah. entire time and by the time you get to the end the stakes are so if if unbelievably high if you judge any movie by infinity war and endgame it's gonna it's, it's gonna look lackluster tough. because those movies just blew it out of the water that's actually a good segue into kind of the broader film industry i i don't know even as uh, an MCU fanatic. I have a hard time being perfectly objective about this. You and I are kind of film snobs and, it, and there's tons of films. I will routinely refer to things as good or bad or fun. 
So when I say something that's good, I mean that it actually is good. I don't mean that I liked it. I mean it is good. This is a good film. If I say it's bad, I mean that it's bad. When I call something fun, it's generally because I liked it, but I'm not willing to call it good. It's funny. The entire time, I can only just think of Wild Wild West as you were saying that. That's a good example. It's not a good movie, I, but I, it's so much fun. There's so many movies like yeah. that, that I feel that way. They're, they're fun, but I, mm-hmm. I am not willing to call them good. However, I, I have to try to take off my, my MCU bias here. And like in the grand scheme of things, with the whole film industry, would I say that these films are genuinely good? Some of them, yes. But do they stand up to the rigors of like truly artistic films? Um, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think of a good example of one right now. Uh, well, it's con- you got to consider what the, the films are about. They, the are, films- they are a blend of cinematic, big summer blockbuster popcorn films, but with like a really good story in them. They're superhero movies with great stories. Yeah. Well, good stories at times, great stories at times. Well, as a consequence, I'm inclined to like take a little off of the, off them, you know, a little mustard off the top and say that it's, it's like, it's also, you've, they've, they've, they've earned so many brownie points from us at this point that you're willing to forgive a little bit of, of flaws that you find in movies. Oh yeah. I, I definitely go into yeah. it with a little bit of a suspension of disbelief. Like I'm, I'm ready to enjoy this. Yeah. Um, I, I now, however, I go into a DC film with the same suspension of disbelief and I'm just hoping, <laughs> hoping that one day they're going to deliver something worth watching. Um, and they've had some acceptable offerings, but yeah, they're, they're, they're just not quite as good. Um, anyway, what I'm, what I'm trying to compare, I'm not trying to compare DC to Marvel necessarily, but Marvel to movies broadly. How, how can you compare something like Avengers Endgame, which essentially owes a lot of its gravitas to the 21 mm-hmm. preceding films? 100%. How do you compare that to a single independent film with just great storytelling and great acting? Like The Judge? See, I didn't want to go there because I think the judge is a little too obscure for most people, and they're not going to know it. So I'm trying to pick a film that um, that is very, very well known that people would recognize as great. Any Tarantino film, for that matter, would be a good example. Mm-hmm. Um, those those so, okay. are so rich and so deep and so well done. Can I compare Avengers Endgame to, you know, Inglorious Bastards? We should do an entirely separate podcast. Oh, I, just, uh, on I, just will, I will do. I will do a Tarantino nod because I, I I love I, Tarantino. Tar- I think Tarantino is one of the most important people in the filmmaking industry right now, and I hope that he becomes one of the most studied directors of all time. Yeah, um, he. That's that's my point. Is that it's very difficult to compare something like Endgame, which is a work of art in itself. But think about it. Like in all of the MCU, how many how many awards did they even get nominated for? Much less win. You know. Now that could be some bias in, in the industry. You know, I, I don't so, really subscribe to the idea that the Oscars yeah. and, uh, and the awards. Like, you, you 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 can. I've seen some some pretty bad movies that have amazing VFX. Okay, sure. You yeah, des- I, you deserve. I'm, VFX, I'm really talking deserve... about the the storytelling awards. Sure. Storytelling and acting and performing. How do you how do you judge storytelling? How do you give something in you know one hundred percent. Avengers Endgame, you, you have to make an argument that because the stakes are so high and because they have 21 films that they're trying to make an amalgam of, that screenplay is beautiful. Yeah. The fact that they had this many characters on screen... It, they, me- it just There was so many things that had to mesh that and, did. And everybody had something to do. And for the most part, we'll get into this a little bit when we get to Inven- Avengers Infinity War because I thought Infinity War was a great example 
of giving almost every character, every major character, something important to do in the film. Mm. Um, all the way down to uh, Kid Groot, you know, who sacrifices his arm in order to mm. create the, the handle for um, Stormbreaker. Like, everybody. Groot is worthy. The only, the only exception that I, we'll get there. <laughs> the only exception in that film that I thought was, I thought Bucky Barnes was a little bit left off. We'll get there. We'll get to it. You talking about Endgame or? In Infinity War. Okay. Yeah. That's, uh, what, that's what I meant. All right. So following the Avengers is uh, Thor of the Dark World. Let's, Skip. Let's spend all the time that's necessary <laughs> to tell about this movie. It sucked. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> it's really, really it, bad. It, it's funny. because I'm going to talk about this now instead of when we get to Endgame. But I love that they're talking about all the stones and they had to have Thor recap Thor 2 the Dark World. They that had, was they had, funny. Because they knew like it was so forgettable and yeah. no one really liked it. Uh, just <laughs> I love the I love the little moment when we kind of points at somebody who's like that you called it a stone. It's not really a stone. Yeah, yeah. So we'll have to amend that. <laughs> um, All right. Yeah, so if we're gonna if we're gonna skip over Dark World, no, let's, we're gonna, let's 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 talk about it because I think I, there's not much important. to talk it's, about. Let's 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 give some critique. Um, it sucked. Like, <laughs> uh, to be honest, I don't think Natalie Portman was in it. Like, I don't think her heart was in it at that point. Her her delivery of all her lines was not great. The Super convenient that an Infinity Stone infuses itself with one of the Avengers, you know, love interests. Yeah, like it's like yeah, that was a little. It's like how added. every major alien always invades L.A. or New York. It's it's kind of like that thing. Like, <laughs> oh, you just happen to invade. Like, you're you're. There's some justification because Jane is trying to find Thor, and through her study, she's got all this equipment. She finds this, but they're like these hole. estranged lovers at this point, and yeah. it was just too convenient. Yeah, yeah, all and right. I also think that her roommate is really annoying. Oh, Kat Dennings? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know her character's name, but... Uh, Darcy. Darcy, Darcy something. Um, I think I think they were going for char- for comedy relief, but if comedy relief is not executed well, it just becomes annoying. And I think which, that's what happened. Generally speaking, not the, MCU, the MCU is very, very good at comic relief. Mm. DC is trash at it. You, you know, actually, to, to take this even a step further, there are portions of the Marvel Universe, but not the MCU, that... Uh, com- the comic relief is terrible. The X Men films, I thought, uh, which one was it? It was the Days of Future Past. They try to be funny so many times in that movie, and it fell entirely flat for me. I still love that movie, Days of Future Past. I thought that's the one with Trask. You know what? I might Peter be Dinklage. I might be speaking about. I actually do like that film for storytelling purposes. Mm-hmm. I thought they did a good job. I, I might be thinking of uh, Apocalypse. Apocalypse is Oscar Isaac's. No, I know and, who, uh, I know who's who. I'm thinking of certain particular scenes, and I don't remember which which movie they were in. They just weren't funny. There, they weren't good at comic relief. James McAvoy as Professor X is not a good character for um, comic relief, and they tried to use him a few times, and it just it just didn't work. He said, some pro- of, some "Professor of the X X-Men is such a is such a intense and um, you know uh, serious character." Yeah. The the parts were. Because James McAvoy obviously has acting chops. He's oh, I he's love that man. Freaking fantastic! Yeah, there Split. were scenes. There were scenes, uh, especially in Days of Future Past, where he's conflicted about wanting his powers and like the the, the pains it causes him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it pays off because you realize that this old sage, uh, Picard, not Picard. Picard. <laughs> What's his name? <laughs> don't tell me his name. Why can't I think of his name? I don't know who you're talking about. Professor X, old Professor X. Oh, oh I'm he not going to tell you. Give me his initials. I know. You know yes. I know it. Patrick Stewart. Dude, Man. just a brain fart. That's I, funny. You know that I know that. That's funny. Um, 
it kind of pays pays tribute. Like now you go back and watch the first movies, you're like, oh, like he's sage and like he's learned his lessons. Sure. You know, so there's that that's kind of cool. And you know, they cheat with the timeline, Days of Future Past going back. Fastbender and, and McAvoy, great together. But oh. the X Men movies are totally hit or miss. Yeah, definitely. Um I do love Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen though, as X and Magneto. Yeah, well, because you have that set in the first movies, like we've seen that, the, the fact that McAvoy and Fastbender were able to pull it off is a tribute to those actors. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I like the, and respect chest, both of those the guys. The chess scene on the plane, so good. Yeah. When, when he, uh, like, prof- uh, Professor is, is talking about how Michael Fastbender or Magneto abandoned them, and he just starts naming all these mutants that are dead. He said, you abandoned us. And he's, like, crushing the plane. Oh, such a, one of the best scenes in any of the X-Men movies, in my opinion. All right. So, sadly, Iron Man 3 is up next. Better Which than is, Iron Man 2. It's the second best to Iron Man film. Iron yeah. Man 2. Um, I, liked, I liked the 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 final scene where, you know, all his, his Iron Fleet shows up. That was cool. But... Uh, I didn't like it. Funniest Iron Man, funniest Marvel movie, probably, in my opinion. Really? Yeah. With the, the, him and the little kid, and he just keeps constantly... Dogging on this kid, like, oh, you know how I know we're cold? <laughs> like, like, he just <laughs> kept messing with him. He's like, dude, he's this little kid. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think Iron Man 3 is probably the funniest of the Marvel movies, but... I think Ant-Man would be. Oh, okay, maybe. You might be right I there. I like Ant-Man. You might be right there. Yeah. Uh, okay, up until this point, at least. Okay. Um, like, the whole MIA turns into AIM when you look at it backwards, like... Did this, did this, like, was this bad guy, like, what am I going to name my, oh, the, like, he noticed reflection in the mirror. Like, that was, was, I thought that was dumb. I like Guy Pierce as an actor, but that role was, was not, there was no depth to that role, in my opinion. I like Guy Pierce. Um, um, the whole, towards the end, you find out that the senator, was the senator or some politician was in cahoots the entire time because he wanted his, like, okay, that's just, that's not good storytelling. Um, yeah, I'm yawning scene, just thinking about this movie. The plane, the plane scene was kind of cool. And there's cool moments, but yeah, overall, I did like uh, when he he goes into the the news van and they're like the world's biggest Tony Stark fan is in there. He's like, I modeled my whole look after you. And he's like, you know what I'm talking about? When he's no. trying he's trying to broadcast back to Pepper. Okay. So he's he's stuck. He has no communication. He sneaks into a news van, and then the the guy who's operating the news van comes in and notices him. He's like, Oh, dude, I knew you were still alive. Oh, dude, and he takes off his hat. He's like, Dude, if you can't tell, I've modeled. He's got like the goatee and stuff. Uh. I, ba- I barely uh, vaguely remember that. So it shows you how much you remember oh, this it's, movie. It's just, it's forgettable, and it's one of those ones I'm ha- I would happily skip watching through again. I, I'm, I'm, I'm good to go through. I, I, would, wa- I would definitely watch it. I, the only movie I would skip for sure is The Incredible Hulk. I would even watch Thor 2 if I was rewatching yeah. it. Well, so I, the rule I have is if I'm going to do an MCU marathon and I want to see the MCU, if the movie has story consequences for the larger arc, you probably need to stop and watch it because there's there's something there. At least Thor: The Dark World has the Aether. Aether yeah. You have to, you know, there is at least that consequence. Um, Iron Man Three is really just about the aftermath of the Avengers. There's nothing very consequential in it. Which I can appreciate a movie trying to do that, tell that story. Sure, because you know it's always the heroes. Yeah, I mean, are, he, they he save the world and then the movie's over. Yeah, I mean, the the end of Avengers is Tony Stark uh, attempting to sacrifice himself for everybody. You know, he survives, but. Yeah. That's that's what he's coping with, um, and it was, it was you know it's good it was I did I did appreciate the the choice to this uh, incredibly charismatic character who's super confident start to have panic attacks and like he's not even fully functioning 
I mean, again, that's the whole comes back to nerfing someone who's, whose power has been established, but, um, and he doesn't have the suit. Now I thought the, the scene where he goes to Home Depot and like rigs up a bunch of stealth was kind of cool because that's essentially what Iron Man is. Iron Man was mm-hmm. built in a cave, but the idea works in, in, you know what that reminds me of that was, I absolutely hated? No disrespect, Denzel. I love you. But uh, Equalizer, Equalizer Well, for me, Equalizer in general. I like Equalizer 1. Equalizer 2 was garbage. For me, I liked Equalizer 1 up until the finale. That, like, when they were in the hardware store and he's making nail guns and stuff. I hated that whole sequence. Yeah. It was <laughs> just remind me of Final Destination with the, the whole nail gun. Dude, stuff. I hated it. Um, no, the biggest one is in, in uh, the Equalizer 1. He, he turns off the power and he puts, I think he puts some like metal in a microwave or he put something in a microwave that would cause an explosion after a while. Then when they turn on the power, the microwave comes on. That doesn't, it doesn't work. Like, work. Yeah. yeah. Micro- like you have to hit start dude. Yeah. Like that doesn't <laughs> like, I remember seeing that and immediately like, ah, and as, as soon as you have that, like, ah, moment, yeah. it's, you're kind of out of it. Yeah. I hated that movie. Because, I like, the I like ending. One. because the ending, I might have bias because I love Denzel. I Denzel's love Denzel so too. Good. Denzel has delivered some of the best performances I can think of. But uh, yeah, call it call it bad when it's bad. Did you see the small things? Yeah, I didn't love it. I, I thought it was kind of retrograde. I felt like that movie would have been good 15 to 20 years ago. But for today's standards, I didn't think it lived up to it. My biggest takeaway, Jared Leto's so good. Did you watch Dallas Buyers Club? No. Dude, it's depressing. That's like the it, only reason you can watch it's it. It's super depressing. But his performance along with Matthew McConaughey, who I also think is very, very talented. I've, I have seen scenes from that movie... And then like, okay, I can't watch this. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. Or what's the other one? Uh, is it Requiem for a Dream? Is that? No, that's, yeah, that is Re- it. Requiem that's for a, a Dream is a very depressing movie. Super depressing. Like one of the arcs is getting someone hooked on drugs so they do whatever you want them to do. Yeah, it's, oh. it's but Jared Leto. Uh, is Jared Leto in Requiem for a Dream? Yeah. Yeah, am I misremembering? I, dude, I, ha- I, haven't, I haven't watched it in like 15 years. Him and um, Jennifer, Jennifer Connelly's in it. Yeah. His mom is maybe the most depressing character in the movie. There is that one scene, though. <laughs> Very, you don't know what I'm talking about? You give me sure. that look. I'm not sure. No. We'll talk about it after the podcast. We, were, we decided <laughs> to keep it clean. Okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> the next film in the MCU, that this is actually a great film. This is the introduction of Joe and Anthony Russo, Captain Amen. America, Winter Soldier. Oh, that was their first one? That was the first one, yeah. Did, wait, okay. One of the best single superhero movies. I like, really, really enjoyed that film. It um, had it had the feel of a bigger film. So that movie, I know I don't, we're talking about storytelling, but the VFX, practical effects, stunt, choreography, that's all part of storytelling. Mm-hmm. The fact that, so there, there are scenes, like uh, I'm going to go to the freeway fight scene yeah. in that movie where Bucky and Cap are fighting each other and then Natasha and, and Hawkeye, or not Hawkeye, uh, Falcon are, are doing their things too. But... There were there were scenes that they chose to film the actual actors. That's doing the introduction, the introduction of uh, of Falcon, right? I think they might have introduced him at the very end of the the first uh, Captain America movie, but this was his real his first real film. No, it was the, the his introduction is on your left. Yeah, right? but that's the end of because that's that's after Cap comes to modern times at the end of the first. Captain America film. So at the end of the first Captain America film, it's only like 30 seconds on the streets of New York. Yeah, yeah. So this is his first real film. Anthony Mackie's. Yes. Yes. Captain C- C- Falcon, yeah. Yeah. I think so. Or, he, was, sorry, he, wasn't in, he wasn't in Avengers, he was the not, first one. He was not in Captain America. He was not in the end of that one. He wasn't? No. Really? So I the thought... end of Captain America, he's, he wakes up in the hospital, the radio's playing, and he's like, I know this is fake because I was at that game. And then he comes out, and then Sam right, Fury's right, like, right. there's stuff. And then so it, I was, I was remembering the sequence with On Your Left, but that's not until this movie. That's the beginning movie. of Winter okay, Soldier. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. 
Um, that's a good. That's another good character introduction that didn't get his own movie. Yeah, and um, now he's had his own show. So I mean, they're they're starting to explore these characters a little bit, a little bit more. Um, but so in in that fight scene, the highway fight scene, um, Sebastian Stan and Chris Evans actually rehearsed that that whole knife fight that they did, and they filmed a bunch of that where you can actually see their faces and the. Russo brothers just no filmmaking. There was a bunch of beats where they got actually them fighting, and then a bunch that where their faces weren't were able to be obscured, where they used stuntmen. So you're actually able to get the the nuance of the performance on the close up shots, but the cool so talent, it's best, of bo- best of both worlds. Yeah, because yeah. stunt crew is always going to be better at fighting, yeah. flipping, pulling off stunts than the actors. Now, obviously, there are a bunch of actors who have broken that rule. I'm not going to get into that, but Tom Cruise. Yeah. Um, Jackie Chan. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, we could... We, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, stay, on, we'll stay on track. Um, so, but just just knowing that your end game is... Your, your, your end result is going to be we're getting the performance of the actors when we need to and we're letting the stunt crew just blow our minds when they need to. Very impressive to be able to make that decision and and have the foresight to, to film that. Because a lot of people would have just... Well, let's just have stuntmen do it and then try to not show their faces enough. And then you don't get the, the intimate moments like... Um, like there's there's scenes when um like you know they're doing the whole knife thing and they're flipping hands where if you look you can tell the actors are struggling to do the, not struggling to do the performance but they're they're intense and it feels like they're actually fighting because they actually are you know that they, they know they're they're not at risk of dying but they're like I gotta actually pull this off I can't ruin this take yeah um man the Russo brothers are good I really they, like they them. really are and I was just thinking about um, how fortunate the MCU was to pick them up at this time. You, you may know this. I'm, I'm sure you probably do know this. Do you know... One by the way, the, that Matt Damon thing was Euro Trip. Really? He's in I, that? I, I don't okay. know why I couldn't think of that. That's funny. I've never seen that. Um, So, the Russo brothers came to the MCU from... They did lots of other things, but one of the things that they're well known for having per- participated in is Arrested Development. You knew that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Isn't it, isn't it kind of funny and apropos that they came from that world where this is a... Now, obviously, it's comedy, but it's 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 telling storytelling in a non-linear fashion with a bunch of different threads. Like, they, they mesh things well together. It's yeah, very well. The tapestry well that they're getting ready to do further downstream. Now, at the, at the time, nobody knew they were going to end up being the director for Infinity War and for Endgame. Mm. But how perfect to have guys who have such experience in telling a story in a non-linear linear fashion telling from a bunch of different perspectives and how they kind of merge together. So something really cool about the Russo brothers is they recognize talent and not only in, in acting. So for, um, I think for winter soldier, one of the, the stuntmen that they worked with, they just saw that he was like, I, I, I may be getting the movie wrong, but it's one of the movies in the MCU. And they're like, Holy crap, this guy's, this guy's got heart. He's got talent. So they ended up working with him more through as the MCU went on. And, you know, the movie Extraction, Russo Brothers gave it to this guy to direct. The guy who directed Extraction, really? Chris Hemsworth, is, was a stuntman in Civil War. I did not know that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And it's cool. just because they saw his talent and they worked with him, kind of took him under their wing. And then, like, Extraction has its flaws, but it was a pretty fun movie. It, it was a lot of fun. Extraction would be one of those ones that counts yeah. as fun. And it's just really cool to see, like, this guy was... I hate to say lowly stuntman because that's a hard thing to do, but you know, someone who's probably no one's ever going to know his name yeah. to, you know, years later, he's directing his own feature film. Freaking cool. And props to the Russo brothers for giving his opportunity. That's cool. Yeah. That, that reminded me of, uh, cause some men don't get their due very often, but Dude, uh, I, I was thinking of once Oscars, upon a time in Hollywood. Oscars need their, the Oscars need to do stunt 
stunt yeah. categories for sure. Yeah. Yeah, um, Tom Green Tom Cruise needs another opportunity to win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh I mean we could probably talk about that for a bit more, but I don't want to get bogged down. Yeah. Uh we're starting to get into the meat though, where the MCU is really finding its feet and delivering a lot of good movies. Um next up is back to back, both both of the Guardians of the Galaxy films. So the first thing I want to say about Guardians of the Galaxy is I will never forget my impression when I first saw the trailer. I thought to myself, what is this? How the hell is this going to fit into the MCU? Yeah. Same, I had the exact same thought. And I was mildly intrigued, but also very, very suspicious that it, this is going to be a good film. When I saw the trailer, I was like, okay, I, I, I watched the trailer. I was like, okay, the trailer's kind of enjoyable. It's cheesy. And then you, then you start to think of it like this is happening in the MCU. And it very much reminded me of that. MCU, what is you doing? <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? I was nervous, but uh, then I went to the movies and watched the film and yeah. I loved it. It was such, it was so novel. It was yeah. so different than all the other superhero films. Yeah. Um, and such a good array of characters. Yeah. Like in, in a sense, it's, it, it was, this is why I critique Justice League. Cause you have four, you have well, more than four, but you have all these characters coming together as a team in one movie that works. Yep. You yeah, know, it works. So you can do it in one movie. Like we always like to say, oh, the Avengers worked because they had all these movies, but the Guardians of the Galaxy did it in one. They had it. Now it's a smaller team. No, but they had a team. In fairness, the like you don't get a lot of development for every character, but you get the seedlings that eventually mm-hmm. are going to develop later on. Um, and if you don't have time to do something, you have to. You, there's obviously sacrifices you make. Like you could make an hour movies hours longer and get more character development. So you have to. You know, James Gunn has to make his decisions about. It, th- those sacrifices, but his other mechanics were done so well that it pays off. It's like, it's, it's this, uh, um, you kind of have to know what story it is you're telling, you know, who's, whose story is this? Who's who matters most here? Because like to compare and contrast guardians one with guardians two guardians one is, um, uh, star Lord. That's it. It's his mm-hmm. movie. It's his story. Guardians two less. So like, I think rocket is, one of the focal characters, and I love what they did, and and also Yondu, yeah. like Yondu got one of the best send send offs the MCU mm-hmm. has ever had. Um, those two characters to me, kind of emerged as giving them so much more depth than they did in the first film. He, he definitely got the second best send off in the MCU. Absolutely, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, one. of course. Um, no, nah, but like, uh, so I I'm, honestly, I'm trying to trying to remember what the the plot of Guardians One is. I don't, I'm not remembering. They're, they're essentially it. going after the power stone. You know, they're oh, okay. That's right. Um, but I, I'm, I'm just going back to the, the, one of the early scenes when they're outside on uh, Xandar and the, all the characters come together for the first time, rocket and Groot are trying to get their, their bounty from Quill. Yeah. And then Gamora's trying to, to come. And then uh, that's, that's basically where all they all meet. That's how the team gets formed. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of goes back to the Avengers. Like this team that is the team at the end of the movie was not a team at the beginning. So the arc in itself is the team, not just Star-Lord. Like you, the team you know what I actually really appreciate arc. about this as a team-up film is that the motivations are such that these characters don't have to like each other in order to be compelled to participate with each other. Like, uh, Gamora is not necessarily a fan of Star-Lord at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she has her own motivations, her own reasons for being there. Same, same as Rocket. Rocket's a little schemer. Yeah. Um, well, what's funny is... Groot's just kind of along for the ride. Well, it's you got Vin Diesel powering that voice. So. You, know, you know my joke about that. Best, the best, the best, <laughs> the best role for him. Is, yeah, they finally found a role he's capable <laughs> yeah, of delivering. Just on. say these three words in a bunch of different languages. <laughs> yeah, no, no offense, Vin. Like, uh, 
dude. Okay, we're gonna take a quick segue. Have you seen this guy on Instagram, semi stupid? No, I think you sent me something, but I didn't get to watch it. So he had a couple where he he cuts in Dom Toretto from like he sure. he puts himself in TikToks, but he adds himself into other movies. And uh, he did this scene where he's talking to Harry, like, okay, we're going to play this game. You present your coolest item, and we're going to see who has the coolest thing. Harry, you go first. And it cuts to Harry Potter. He's like, I got this cloak, and it's the invisibility cloak. So he puts it on, he turns invisible. And it cuts back to this guy. He's like, oh, that's pretty cool, man. Dom, you going to beat that? And he goes, cuts to Dom, he goes, I got family. <laughs> and then, the, <laughs> then the, the, the Paul Walker song starts playing. Oh, dude, just, it made me laugh so hard. But anyways, he's... Little yeah. plug, go if follow. you've been on Reddit in the last couple of weeks, family, the family memes are getting a little bit much. Yeah, I, I, I deleted Reddit. Uh, I was wasting too much time. So Guardians 2. Um, Rocket, Guardians 2. Oh, yeah. Rocket. Best story. Yeah. yeah. Um, to be honest, Rocket was my favorite part of Guardians 2. Mine too. Uh, though There was one thing where I remember w- live watching the movie. There was one other moment where I was like, yep, that's exactly what I would have done. Um, when... He's like, when I put that tumor in your mother's head and immediately she's like, boom, 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 shoots in the face like 10 times. Like, yep, cool. Like yep. You, that's, I mean, he ends up surviving, but. Yeah, I didn't really like the villain. I didn't like, no, I liked Kurt Russell. I did not like the ambiguous thing he turned into at the end of that movie. Yeah. I always hate it when they make things ambiguous. Yeah. Like uh, Green Lantern, who's basically fighting against the color yellow. <laughs> the Green Lantern. Dude. He's trying to fly away from the sun. What does he envision? Two jets pulling him away. He's trying to save people at a party. What does he ma- imagine? A giant freaking Hot Wheels track? Are you kidding me? Who wrote that movie? I, I love, uh, I the love Deadpool. Deadpool, yeah. Deadpool thing. Yeah. <laughs> For those who don't know, at the end of Deadpool, they do a couple of uh, sequences where uh, Deadpool... No, this is Deadpool 2. It is Deadpool Yeah, it's Deadpool 2. When he gets the time travel ability... Ryan Reynolds ostensibly starts traveling through time as Deadpool and writing some of his own personal wrongs. Well, he actually goes to the desk of Ryan Reynolds, this gleeful guy who looks at the script from the Green Lantern. He's excited because he just got the opportunity of his career and Deadpool shoots him. In the- <laughs> and then he looks at the camera and goes, you're welcome. Oh, man. <laughs> that's, oh, man. That's perfect Ryan Reynolds humor. Deadpool, those were both Tim Miller, right? Yeah, we can, we'll talk about those later. That's not MCU. Yeah, I'm not sure. The, the one crossover movie that I want to see, and the only reason I would ever care to see Hugh Jackman reprise his role as, as Wolverine is to get a Wolverine-Deadpool crossover. Yeah. Forget everything else. Don't, don't worry about any other... Don't work. It's not canon. Don't make it mesh. Just go in there, have fun with it. Make Deadpool 3 with Wolverine. That's Speaking of I that, see. I actually meant to say this earlier. Um, prior to Black Widow coming out, one of the things I was saying uh, in anticipation was that... And I think you and I have kind of agreed on this, that... I, I see the MCU as closed, or the, the canon of that story being closed. And I, and I, yep. I, I realized that, but as I went watched uh, Black Widow, I realized, well, this has to be included inside that canon, because chronologically, it's, it's within before. it. before, yeah. Thankfully, we'll, you know, no spoiler, we'll, we'll get there when we do, but it is a good movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it's good enough to warrant its inclusion inside the, the canon. Um, but yeah, I realized I had to kind of amend that belief, because that, that film does belong in there. Well, I knew that that movie was going to be a prequel i did well, too but i kind of i kind of forgot that it, spoiler alert not natasha romanoff dies in endgame so we kind of <laughs> know that this happened if you don't know that, that by now that's on you yeah okay so is, if there's anything else to say on guardians um we're up to age of ultron <sighs> i don't want to skip i'll say this age of ultron is the worst avengers film yes it is still an enjoyable film for many reasons i like james spader's voice performance in it yep um 
I think he was actually the perfect casting for that. Um, his 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 talking voice is like this calm, menacing thing that you you when he talks, he's he's speaking with such confidence and bravado that you know you have to take this threat seriously. Yeah. Um, the the very first time that he comes alive when he's at the Avengers party, their after party thing, and they have that little thing, and they, you know, he's has the I got no strings on. He's kind of hobbling forward. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was great. I like that. I liked every part of that. The other scene that got everybody excited in that film was the the hammer on the table. Okay. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care that the Russo brothers have come out and confirmed one theory over the other. And I know that there's this isn't perfect, but the reason why he could kind of pick it up is because he was almost worthy. Clarify so, who you're talking about. This is Captain America. Captain so America. Captain America reaches to everyone's had they're having this competition. So forever, whoever hasn't seen the movie, and if you haven't, you know, I don't know why you haven't seen the movie yet. But uh, there's a scene where they're at a party and they Thor drops his hammer on the table and invites all the other Avengers to try to pick it up. Yeah, and all, when, all of which do it unsuccessfully, with one exception. With Captain America, he gets it to budge just a second, and so, you can see Thor react to that. Yeah. So the Russo brothers have confirmed, which I hate that they confirmed it, but that Captain America realized he could lift it but that he didn't to save Thor's feelings. Which they is, said that? They, they confirmed See, that. I've heard other theories besides that. So my theory is, I know this doesn't work because like, how can you be almost worthy and how does the hammer decide? You know, they even make a joke about that. Like if you put it in an elevator, elevator isn't worthy. Like I love that the MCU yeah. is pointing out their own, it's you're working with a comic book. So this goes within suspension of disbelief in my opinion. Captain America is almost worthy. There's one thing that he's not, that's conflicting within him. Save it, we're gonna get there. But that when, when they resolve yeah. that, Boom! All of a sudden, he's he's picking up Mjolnir for the for the first time, and he is kicking ass with it, man. Yeah. So the uh, the exception, uh, or actually that scene, that sequence is a build up to another reveal later in the film, Vision. Oh yeah. And that was one of the most satisfying moments in cinema that I can remember, when the entire audience was just on there, fire. There, there are two movies that I can that I recall in recent memory where everyone was so shocked that the entire theater was dead silent. Yeah. The moment when Vision picks up the hammer and he goes. I can't remember what he says, but he's like, we better get going or something, something along those lines. And everyone's just like, oh. he's not even wielding the hammer. He's just handing it to Thor. He just picks it up. Yeah. And it's yeah. just such a good moment. And it's a moment to prove, okay, we can clearly trust this guy. Yeah. And then the other movie was planned, uh, rise of the planet of the apes. The first one with James Franco. Oh yeah. Yeah. When he's, he's like, oh, you damn dirty ape. And he just stands up. No. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, oh crap. That was such a good movie. I don't too. know if we're ever going to squeeze in that trilogy. So I want to say one thing about it. That is one of the unique times where I think a trilogy got better with each film, each installment. Loads better. Yeah, 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 quite a bit. Because by the time you get to War for the Planet of the Apes, you actually have a really solid movie. Uh, Woody Harrelson's performance in that movie is great. And Andy Serkis does Andy not Serkis, get enough credit. Andy Serkis needs to be a household name. That yeah. man is incredible. We're going to get to him so a little. Good. Actually, it's funny. He's in Age of Ultron, all, of all things. Like, we, Oh, yeah, that's right. He, <laughs> very, very, very. Well, that's he becomes, the first. That's arguably when he becomes fully Ulysses S. Claw. Because he loses his arm against yeah. the Claw. I know that's his name already. Yeah, so Ulysses Claw is uh, introduced in Avengers Age of Ultron. But Andy Serkis, if you don't know who he is, he is the best mocap guy in the industry by far. He's now gotten into writing and directing. He's directing mm-hmm. the next Venom film, mm-hmm. which uh, Venom 1, I didn't love it. I, I, did, I thought it was actually pretty bad. Um, it's watchable, but it's not good. To me, it falls under the fun, char- the fun category. For me, it's almost fun. It's I not Tom, quite good I, enough. I like Tom Hardy enough that I'm a little bit biased, I think. Yeah, that, that might be fair. Um, I'm, I'm anxious to see Woody Harrelson in the next one. I'm anxious also to have Andy Serkis directing. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be exciting. I think when you, when you get people who have been in the industry in one position for so long, 
then you give them the, the, the director's helm. Like, a lot of times they flop, but I think Andy Serkis is going to deliver. Well, he's had a couple of directorial uh, uh, offerings now. He did Mowgli, which was that uh, Rudyard Kipling's Jungle yeah. Book, essentially. Um, but it was a much darker version, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't think he directed it. No, no, the guys from Peaky Blinders directed that Christmas Carol with Guy Pierce that Andy Serkis played in, which I... Andy Serkis played in that? Yeah, he was the ghost of Christmas present, I think. That's my favorite iteration of Oh, of dude, I, I absolutely loved it. It was so dark and so good, and the motivations were so much better than mm-hmm. the... And I, and I love the Christmas Carol as a story. I, I think it's one of the best, best out I there. I do like the Jim Carrey one. <laughs> The, I like the, the Jim Carrey one. I even one. like the stupid Muppets one. I think they're, it's a lot of fun. Mm. Um, but that Charles Dickens story is actually a really great story. And there's a reason that it's stuck around for as long as it has. Yeah. But the retelling that they did with the Peaky Blinders crew and the darkness that they added to it, there's some moments when you realize what's happening because it's very, very adult. And it's very, as a consequence, it's very real. Mm. When you realize what's, what's going on, yeah. why, why Ebenezer is, it really adds this gravity to who he is as a person right. and why he is the way he is. That's visceral storytelling at some of its It's so finest. beautiful. It's so beautiful. If you haven't seen it, I think it's on Hulu. Uh, check out A Christmas Carol featuring Guy Pierce as Sco- Scrooge. Um, so, okay, I thought you were doing Go for it, yeah. Um, back to, I, I do want to give one shout out to Ultron, is um, there's a joke, it's like, but no one has to crack any eggs. And Ultron goes, clearly you've never made an omelet. <laughs> and Tony Stark goes, you beat me by two seconds. <laughs> I just love that little exchange because it's obviously a very serious moment. Yeah. And then these two guys are just joking. And it just goes to show you that in a lot of ways, Tony Stark is Ultron's father. Yeah. Because, you know, he created the software and um, also he's Vision's father in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So um, Vision and Ultron are basically brothers. So uh, I forgot that film also introduces. Oh, I just us. realized there's some there's some Cain and Abel. There's, oh, dude, there's quite a bit now that I'm thinking about it. Some Cain and Abel references. Oh, speaking of that, when we get to Black Panther, rem- remind me to talk about the comparison that was made. Okay. Um, uh, Age of Ultron also introduced us to uh, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Yeah. This was our first introduction to essentially the X-Men, uh, even though they're not called that at the time because of the rights with Fox and all that. Um, so it's funny. Um, they were actually in... Um, the end, they were in an end credit scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They movie. were in a prison cell. Yeah. But um, it's it's the Scarlett Johansson, not Scarlett Johansson, Scarlet Witch. When you first see her, she's like almost like a horror character. Like mm-hmm. they do that weird time remapping when she backs up all quickly, like like yeah. the ring almost. And she has the like the... The first sequence that she's in, I think... No, she's okay. I'm never mind. One they're, of the sequences it's, it's that it's in I, the very first sequence when they have they're coming through the when snow, they come to the, the mansion snow. or the the, the compound. Or yeah, whatever. they're in the compound. Yeah. They release. Yeah, yeah. Um, is that Kenneth Branagh? Branagh the what, director? No, the bad guy uh, who releases them. The two. I'm look I that don't. Up. I don't recall. I'm not sure. I'm gonna look it up right now. Um, and her, her accent definitely evolves over time. And I think that it's a good thing that her accent's better in, um, it's just heavier earlier on. So one of the most consequential things about that film, obviously you, you and I agree that it is maybe the worst Avengers film, but it is consequential for what we're about to get into um, because that's where Sokovia is. That's, mm-hmm. that's what leads to the Sokovia Accords is, is the events of this film. So in spite of the fact that it may not necessarily meld into the Infinity Stones uh, timeline and what's going on with those, it has a tremendous... Although it does have an Infinity Stone, obviously, because mm-hmm. uh, Vision has one in his forehead. Um, 
Sokovia is a very consequential event mm-hmm. that causes the rift in the Avengers, which yeah. we're going to get to soon. Next up, though, is Ant-Man, which is kind of just a comedic detour. It's almost like a comic relief from the greater MCU. It's like so, a meta relief. I remember when I first heard that, my immediate, my immediate reaction was, I'm going to skip this one. Yeah, There's no way this is going to be good. And it's not great, but it's, it's acceptable. Because it's funny, I'm going to disagree with you. It is great. You know, you know who cracks me up in that? Paul Rudd? Michael Pena. Oh, dude. Michael uh, Pena is so funny. Can he... Uh, dude, honestly, so when, when the Avengers Endgame and Infinity War came out, especially Infinity War, I thought it would just would have been such a great idea to have Michael Pena get up. So Recap here's what it. happened in the MCU for so far. So, like, there was this guy, right? And he came in, and he's all like, oh, I'm going to get all these stones. <laughs> like, could you imagine how funny that would have been? Dude, he was Obviously, so it funny. Obviously, it would not have worked with the tone of the film, but... Yeah, no, the way that they started that film was perfect. The way they started Endgame? Yes. Oh, yeah. That was a great, because, dude, it was great like, intro. At the end of... We'll get to this, but at the yeah. end of... Yeah, we'll, we'll just get to it when we yeah, get yeah. to it. Um, there's not much to be said about Ant-Man. It's, a, it's an introductory film to introduce us to... And, and Ant-Man and ultimately, by extension, quantum mechanics or quantum mm-hmm. uh, time, time travel. Very, very important in the Important, MCU. yeah. Um, but that's really all it is. Um, the, there's, a, there's one other thing that... They, they go out of their way to point out that you have the same density at when you're shrunk, so which means you have the same weight. Mm-hmm. Or uh, That's why they're super strong. Yeah. yeah. But then he's carrying a freaking tank on his keychain. That thing would weigh 40,000 <laughs> pounds. That's funny. That's a funny, yeah, that's a little uh, continuity error. Yeah. So, next up's a good one. I do, uh, before, before we move on, right. I do like the heist. The heist. Uh, yeah, it's fun. Yeah. yeah. And then Michael Pena, and then... That other guy, I don't know his name, but he was in. He's he played a mental patient in the Dark Knight movies. Yeah, I don't know his name either, but I like him. But they were they they pulled it off together, and then they had that other guy. Uh, Tim Harris, Ti. So Ti was one of the. You're not not the guy you're talking about. The guy you're talking about was in Dark Knight, but correct. And it was those three and Ti. Yeah, they 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 worked well together as like the backup crew. It was 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 fun. I actually thought they were really really funny in the second uh, in the sequel for Mm -hmm. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, Do you know what's next? Not off the top of my head. Civil War. Okay. Holy crap, such a good movie. I love that movie. So good. It's, uh, so I guess we're going to get off track here a little bit and uh, dog on DC a little bit more. It's funny how this essentially came out right around the time that Batman vs. Superman came out. So they're almost an equivalent film in different franchises. Mm-hmm. One was good. I'm going to correct you. They were not equivalent films. No, well, equivalent I, I, I know, in stature. I know what you mean, though. Equivalent yeah. in stature. Like, you know, they were like, going for the same thing. Yeah. And uh, one delivered. What I've always found to be ironic, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself as far as the plot of Captain America Civil War, is that they both had an exchange. One of the critical elements of the film was the relationship with their parents. And one delivered beautifully, and one faltered tremendously. They handled Tony Stark's parents and that whole arc so well. So, so well. And then, like, so you're, like, expectations are just blown away because... Like they, they, they set the they set the stage. Tony Stark loved his parents, even though he has this, these conflicts with his parents. Like he still loved them. He's there's obviously still this hole. They they talk about. It. He's like you know I spent millions of dollars and doesn't doesn't help me. Doesn't I I still have not coped with the fact that my parents are gone. Oh, you're talking about the technology developed. Yeah, yeah. And then now this other threat comes along as the winter uh, not the Winter Soldier uh, Zemo, Zemo Zemo yeah. And he's he's who knows what he's gonna do. We have, to, we have to stop him. He's trying to destroy the Avengers. Gets to Zemo. 
movie's almost over. He's like, this, this, you know, this, this room is built to withstand megatons of nuclear energy. Iron Man, I bet I can beat it. And he goes, yeah, but let me play this little video for you. Shows Bucky killing his parents. And then props to, to Robert Downey Jr. When he, he goes, did yeah, you know, did you know? Yeah. And he has the, the, the betrayal, like the, he takes a step back and looks betrayed. Great performance. On and his then, part. and even, even Steve Rogers or yeah. with the uh, Chris Evans, um, he, he performed very well in that scene because you can see how conflicted he is and how he, he doesn't know how to answer. Mm-hmm. Like, I actually think he, he did a really good job by... Which is when he was at his most interesting as a character. Yes, because he was vulnerable mm-hmm. and imperfect for yeah. the first time. He, no, the Superman, Superman complex like, went away in that one. The, the look that he had on his face was something, to, something akin to, I don't know how to answer this. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm even struggling to articulate it. To me, he looked as, as somebody who wanted to say... It's too complicated for me to explain it. He 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 showed his conflict well. Yeah, on his, his he did a really good job. Yep, because it, it wasn't a simple yes or no question. Mm-mm. You could tell he didn't want to answer it as a yes or no question because it was complicated. Yeah, just like the relationship that, that's, was. That's, that's that's I know not that sp- specific situation, but what you just explained is a, a real thing that happens in real Absolutely. life. Absolutely, you that, people that try to, to people. force you into making something black and white when it's not black yeah. and white. It's yeah. complicated. And the, the the performances in that movie were really well. But let's talk about that airport scene. Oh, they're, it's just so much fun. So much fun. Um, uh, so here so we intro- also have introduction, introduction of Spider-Man. Spider-Man, Th- Tom so this Holland. Movie, this movie introdu- introduced Black Panther and Spider-Man. That's right. Black Panther, effectively, very effectively. Both of them very effective. Because his motivations were super clear. Who he was as a character, his, his kind of patho- his pathology of being a good person, and when that pivots and changes. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip forward because there's payoff here. So the very first, so Clint shoots a bear and c- catches it and, you know, doesn't doesn't hurt him. He goes, "Hi, I'm Clint, by the way." And Black, I don't care, and just starts fighting him again. Cut, cut to end game. So they've met that one time. They've never, they haven't met any other times because Clint goes to jail, goes gets in parole, released to his mm-hmm. family. The next time they meet, the very next time they meet is the on battle. the final battle. Clint's holding the thing, and he says, "Clint, give it here." So he remembered his name. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it was a nice little Easter egg. It's, it's Russo brothers, man. Yeah, they know what they're doing. Yeah, everything has consequences. Dude, everything they has must, meaning. They must take or have someone who's taking such thorough and robust notes. Oh, they, they, I'm sure they have teams of people. They oh, probably yeah. have 30 writers for that movie. So good. Um, and and the, those the, writers are probably, you know, as avid fans as you and I are that mm-hmm. just love the MCU and are just obsess over it. Yeah. Um, the other scene that I thought just they did really well was the, the tunnel scene where they're, they're chasing the cars and they're running and they're passing up cars. Like they're running because Black Panther and Captain America are superhuman. And they're trying to, they're, they're hunting down Bucky. Yes, okay. Yeah, um, I, I remember this. And then Bucky does the motorcycle, the yeah. super cool motorcycle, Michael's motorcycle stunt. Um, so on that film, the re, how they got them to run fast, they actually did that. Hmm. They, had, they had stunt cars that would pull basically these really, really long like carpets. Mm-hmm. And the actors or the stuntmen would, they, like the car would go slow and they would walk, you know, jog across it and then they'd speed up and then they'd speed up and by the time they got to it they were they were filming at full speed like so these these cars are actually going fast and these stuntmen are running across this carpet and then they just paint out the carpet and post um there's this guy Guy Silva who's uh one of the stuntmen on it and I got I watched got to watch a breakdown of him talking about it Hmm. because he's he's the stunt double for Black Panther um the 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 Russo brothers I think I don't know what's if they how much control they have over the stunts, like they choose stunt coordinators and they have they have stunt teams, but their 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 stunts in the MCU stand out among the MCU as, as the best, in my opinion. 
to some extent, the, the metric for success of stunt sequences is whether or not you are taken out of the film. Like they, when done well, you, you almost don't notice. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the, 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 in the, built into the character design. When you, you're seeing Black Panther in his costume, you don't see his face. Yeah. So you can have a stunt double anytime. But when you have, you know, Captain America in his, in his casual clothes, like, yeah, you got, you don't have the same luxury. Mm -hmm. So I think the Russo brothers are really good at, at knowing what they want their final product to look like. So they know what they need to shoot. So they can map the story mm -hmm. appropriately. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think they're probably due to their work on rest development yeah. are, are some of the best at that. So the pivotal, uh, variable in this film is Sokovia. Essentially it's the division, the schism that, that develops between some of the Avengers, uh, that ultimately is going to push them is away from each other. Right. At, okay. So another thing that movie did well, which again, this is props to the Rooster Brothers for writing, is so Tony Stark is reading his teleprompter when he gives everyone, he's like, yeah, all of your projects have just been funded. Mm -hmm. And then the teleprompter says, and now I present yeah, the founder program Pepper Potts and he just doesn't read it. Yeah. We already know. Like, thank you, Russo Brothers, yeah. for not thinking your audience is stupid. I would hate it for, like, I would have hated for, like, oh, me and my wife are going through stuff now, so she's not going to be here. Like, yeah. Yeah, no, we, know, we know, we got it. We got it right Plus there. Plus his facial expression. And then... What they did actually was in the hallway, they, they apologized. They said, oh, I'm really sorry. And he just kind of moved on, brushed yeah. on. Like, that was perfect. Yeah. And then, does, is that Viola Davis he meets by the elevator? No. I could, I could see why you might have thought that, because she does resemble her a yeah. bit, but no. Um, um, yeah. then, and honestly, never has there... Not never. I haven't seen every movie ever, but I thought the justification for the split in the Avengers was very justified. Like it didn't feel forced very much. It's funny for me because to some extent I'm I'm more sympathetic towards Iron Man as a character for all the reasons we've already talked about. But when it comes to the argument that they're making, I actually am persuaded to agree more with Captain America. Sure. In in, in the real world, maybe. Let's set the stage. What's the argument? The argument is whether or not they have the ability to uh, overstep government entities and in, mm -hmm. in order to be uh, this agency of, of should, power. Should they have their own freedom? Yeah. So, Or should they be subject to greater control? There's one answer to that question. Sokovia. Thanos. Oh, I was Sokovia. Like yeah. that's, <laughs> like that's the, well, that's the argument that Tony Stark is making. Yeah. There. And it, it's a good argument. Yeah. Now again, I, like I said, I'm on, I'm on team Stark just because I like, I like Iron Man so much, but both sides of that argument have valid points. Absolutely. And that's where it's, true it's, conflict it's comes from. It's the same continuum that we talk about in real life all the time, the mm -hmm. trade-off between freedom and security. Yeah. But the reason why I think Tony Stark, because again, Tony Stark is going through this character arc over the MCU the entire time. And he, he's, he's realized that he's, you know, he's been called the merchant of death and all this other stuff. And he's definitely, he changed even in Iron Man 1. But now he's at the point where he's like, I'm still making these mistakes because of me, because of weapons I'm creating. Ultron is a weapon he created. Innocent people are still dying. I need to be kept in check. I am too yeah. powerful. That's when he and came up with his metaphor of a shield around the world. You know, um, that was Ultron. Right. Well, so Tony recapitulates it at some point and says the same thing. Uh, having, I think he says it in civil war about, have, no, no, no. He says it. It's a callback. Later on in uh, Endgame, yeah, or he, yeah, the beginning of, of Endgame, yeah, yeah, it's he, he, suit of armor around the world. It's a, it's a sarcastic callback, though. He's like suit of armor around the world, like that type of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. But he's using it to jab at um, yeah, Captain Cap America. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but what I'm saying is this: it, this wasn't a conflict where, dude. I've talked to people 
And they're like, oh, dude, Tony Stark was totally right. And then other people, oh, dude, Cap was totally right. That's good. That's, 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 that's a good that's, argument. That's yeah. good. That's good. Yeah. They did it, it well. Yeah. I, I hate when... No, so this isn't the traditional uh, hero-villain dichotomy that you see in most films. It's actually hero-hero, but conflict in the, in the midst of the two heroes. But I hate when they make the villain comically evil. Like, it's, it's so wasteful. Like, actually, I liked the way they handled Zemo. No, no, I'm, I'm not actually not talking about it. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about just broadly speaking. A lot of times you, you like, have... That you don't like it when they do that. I don't like when they make the villain comically evil. And by that, mm-hmm. I mean they're evil for the sake of evil. Like, mm-hmm. Thanos is an example of, of a villain that has tremendously altruistic motivations mm-hmm. that are the byproduct of his madness. But he is, he is still good in his own estimation of yeah. himself. He is trying to save the world. He's yeah. trying to save everything. Exactly. He's not evil for the sake of being yeah. evil. Yeah. Like sometimes villains come off as just, and, and it's like what you said, a good argument is when both sides are right to an, to an extent that if, you can see merit in both arguments. Like if we go back to Iron Man 2 with Whiplash, his motivation was, oh, you locked my father out of your company and now I want my revenge. Okay, that story's been told 10 million times. Nobody it's cares. Boring. Yeah, it's boring. But you get to Zemo, it's like, he it was, it comes back to Scovia again. Yeah. And he's talking about the way, like when I was, I was searching for my, my family and he doesn't, he doesn't just say like my family died, but he says the Avengers were nowhere to be found. Yeah. Like, Zemo was a good character. Yeah. I like Zemo. And um, his motivations are unquestionable. And it goes back to this kind of the same conflict of we, basically we have a, a degradation in the team of the Avengers, which is what they started out of. They started so, off as not a team. And in, in, in a Captain America Civil War, they're not a team again. But again, where Loki was manipulating them into not liking each other in Avengers, you had Zemo doing it. Now, there's other stuff. It wasn't just Zemo. But so like this it, there is was, where there, it wasn't just, oh, we're falling apart because we don't get along there was outside influences that were seeking to drive them apart and effectively. So this is where the comparison to DC gets kind of hilarious to me because Zemo and Lex Luthor are almost equivalent characters with almost the same uh, hope and ambition. They are trying to take two, uh, you know, an unstoppable, unstoppable force and an immovable object and make them collide with each other and in, in the hopes that it will destroy them. And... One of them does it beautifully and effectively and creates a, 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 a story that's worth listening to and watching. What's, what's also great about that arc is Black Panther, who just gets introduced in this movie, that's the, it's the start of his arc too, when he comes out there and he doesn't kill Zemo. And he says, I was blinded by my hate, you know? And he actually saves Zemo from killing himself. He goes, you're not done answering for your crime. And it's like, okay, this is, this is arguably the start of Black Panther's story at that point. Which we're going to get to pretty soon because he's a pretty cool character. Definitely. Um, I definitely liked how his his character in that film set up his succession to his father. You know, mm. there was the emotional weight of the fact that he watched his father die. So he's equally invested in the Sokovia Accords. Mm. Um, I mean, that's why he's there. So he's there in the aftermath of Sokovia. Getting a little feedback right now. I don't know why. Are you? I hear it too. Okay. Uh, anyway, so he's at the so- Sokovia Accords because... Actually... At that point, it's not really established. He's there with his dad, and there yeah, his dad is the the king, the representative of. It's not T'Challa. It's it's similar to T'Challa. T'Chaka. T'Chaka. That's T'Chaka. Right. Yeah, um, representing Wakanda. Mm-hmm. But at this point, they are non non characters in the MCU uh, consequence right now. They're they're not part of anything at this point in the story. Yeah, yeah they're just here at this essential UN mm-hmm. meeting trying to uh, 
harness in, rein in on the the Avengers. To be honest, of all the the character introductions that weren't their own movies, like Iron Man is obviously an Iron Man movie. Like we have Black Widow who showed up in Iron Man Two, Clint who showed up in Thor. Like of all those, this was the best one with Chadwick Boseman and Black Panther. Yeah, because it's the movie's not about him, but he has. Great scenes in it. Like the one where he's sitting with Natasha on the bench. That's a good scene. And I'll do it myself. That's a really so good, good scene. And well, then the he other gives one you, when he's he gives the, you some, some uh, he does a little narrative about uh, Wakandan culture and, and their thoughts on death. That's, where they're, that's when they're in, oh, more of a stepping off point. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. It well, was they, a really they, good. They pay that off when he drinks the juice and he goes to meet his father yeah. in, that, in that dream world. Yeah. Yeah. That one paid off. But the other scene that I like in that one is when after Cap, Bucky, and T'Challa all get arrested... And they're getting pulled to where um, Zemo ends up. Um, he's he's like looking at Cap. I am I am the bla- the mantle of Black Panther has been passed down, and now and now I hold it since my father's dead. Mm-hmm. And I also hold King. What do you think you're going to do to stop me, man? <laughs> that's just such a cool like that's yeah. a, a badass moment. Oh, we haven't talked. We mentioned it earlier, just briefly, but uh, obviously this movie also introduces Tom Holland as Spider Man. Yeah. Um, that's, that was pretty fun. It also introduces Marissa Tomei as Aunt May. That's true. Oh, dude. I, I, I do love the, the, the banter between Tony Stark oh, and yeah. Marissa Tomei. Yeah. That was really, really funny. <laughs> That's no, your oh, aunt? Oh, oh, and the, the best, maybe the best joke, I think, was uh, when Tom Holland was in the car with him, and he, he reaches over to open oh. the door. And he, <laughs> Get out. He's, Get out. He sadly tries, no, he tries to embrace him. Yeah, he's, 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 he's like, no, I'm just opening the door. No, I'm just opening the door for you. Get out of here. <laughs> that's, that's a callback to... Uh, Iron Man 3 in some ways. It's the same, same relationship, relationship he has with the kid. Yeah. All right. Um, guess, up, guess what's up next chronologically. This is the one I was actually a little bit surprised about. This is Black Widow? Black Widow's up next. Yep. Loved it. Yeah, I did too. Um, I, I loved... So I, I do got to say, when, when you said what you said about what you thought the end credit scene was going to be, I was really hoping that's what we would get. It would have been better. And I was a little bit disappointed that we didn't. Yeah. Because like, throughout the movie, if you haven't seen it, Red Guardian is basically Russian Captain America, and it's played by David Harbour. Um, throughout the movie, there's he talks about his glory days and the time he fought Captain America, and they kind of call him out and say like, "Oh, the timelines don't work out. He wasn't around when you were around, like you were before his time, and all this other stuff." And then Brendan, we're watching the theater. He leans over and goes, "I bet you the end credit scene is going to be him confronting Captain America." And I was like, "Oh, dude, that would be so good. That would be so so good." And then it didn't happen. Not only did it didn't, did it not happen, I thought the end sequence. I didn't like it. I didn't like what it implied. To be honest, I can't remember what it is. Okay, so... I've only he, seen it once. Yeah, he meets... He meets... Uh, I don't remember the character name. They introduced her in... It's oh, a, it's Florence Pugh at the... At the, at the, grave. at the graveside yeah. with um, Dreyfus. What's her first name? Uh, from, from Seinfeld. Uh, anyway. Julia. Julia Louise Dreyfus? Julia Lee Dreyfus? Something Julia like Dreyfus? that. Anyway. Okay, yeah. Anyway, so that character was established in uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier as some sort of uh, kind of a Nick Fury, mm-hmm. but maybe a more uh, evil version of it or of sorts. Okay. Some some sort of uh, evil, I remember evil you collaborator. Whisper, you whispered to me like that, that that's what the case was because yeah. I, I have not seen any of the Yeah, but the basically she shows up at the graveside where um, Florence Pugh or where uh, Black Widow's sister, what's her name? Yelena. Yelena um, is mourning her sister's death and uh, she says, would you like to go after her killer? And she shows the picture of Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. That's 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 it. But I don't like the implication there that that they're going to try to send Yelena after Hawkeye as if he is somehow responsible. Because I thought, and we're going to get to an endgame here in a minute, but that is one of the most powerful scenes that they have in that film. 
is them jostling for the opportunity to sacrifice themselves. Mm. So to construe him, and obviously this person is some sort well, of manipulator. That, she's she's not she doesn't have good intentions here. Mm. She's she's trying to manipulate Yelena and get her. What if what? Again, I, I have not watched the the Falcon and the Soldier yet. Um, what if though there is there's a scene or a movie where we get to see uh, Florence Pugh do her thing against Clint, and the the culmination, the finale is the realization that Clinton and Natasha were were friends. And yeah, that she's being manipulated. Uh, Arguably more than friends, those two. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe we don't know. Yeah, you don't know for sure. We there's, don't know. They. I think there's enough that you can read into to say, like, I yeah. think that that's like the directors are giving us a chance to not be stupid here and put two and two together. By the way, Florence Pugh, I'm I'm calling it out right now. For those who are not paying attention, that woman is here to stay. She is a talented, talented actress. For sure. And I'm I'm a huge fan of some of her work. I thought her work in uh, Little Women was exceptional. I thought she was ex- she was really good in um, Midsummer, but her acting at the, the final scene when she I'm not going to spoil the movie, but like she's watching the whole thing yeah. go down and then she kind of like that little sinister look just gets a little bit of a sinister oh, smile. It's, it's fantastic. Great, great. She has great choice on her she part. has the ability to express so well with with just her face mm-hmm. without articulating or speaking. Um, uh, I, she's been on my radar for a while, and I think she's here to stay. And I'm excited to see her in the MCU. I think she's yeah. going to be a really good addition. Um, so let's let's talk about the the titular character Black Widow. All right. So glad she finally got her own movie. That was cool. She's, she's been a part of the MCU for a long time, and as far as I know, everyone loves her. Um, Scarlett Johansson is incredibly charming and super fun to watch. Uh, I liked the uh, the the costume choice is very akin to Avengers Endgame. The time travel suits that they have hmm. very similar to the ones that they suit up in for the the finale of that movie. Yeah. Um, I loved I loved the the story arc of the adopted family that was like a basically a uh, like they were a sleeper cell family. Sure. And then they decide to terminate the program and it's just oh well you guys are screwed sorry and you're not a family anymore yeah and you're just kind of on your own and then they 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 have the the family moment towards right before the finale happens and it's like the the the, the scene was like not it wasn't I wouldn't say it was oozing with conflict but. The, the tensity was in the air, so to speak. Yeah. Like, and then the, the whole revelation. By the way, the um, the young version of Natasha Romanoff, that's mm-hmm. Mila Jovovich's daughter. No way. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And uh, I guess I could kind of see it. Apparently, her, some of her performances were so, so good that Scarlett Johansson cried. I believe it. Yeah. She did a really good job. Yeah. I am so impressed with kids these days when it comes to acting. I, I think if you roll back the clock 30 years ago, Kid acting, uh, particularly in movies, was painful. Do you remember Super 8? Yeah, that was Holy the first example crap. of where I thought they got an entire collection of children to just perform was, beautifully. I, I'm pretty sure that was J.J. Abrams who directed that It one. was. Yeah. Um, or at least EP'd it. Yeah. I don't understand how he was able to pull such great performances out of those kids. They were so good. Like, usually it's every time my kid's on screen, it's like, all right, let's skip this scene. Like That oh, this felt is like a bit of good. a Rubicon, a bit of a turning point for the industry when it came to children... Yeah, in acting roles and lead lead roles. Since then, that the has bar has just mind. been higher. So the bar has just yeah. been higher since then. Mm-hmm. Stranger Things is a good example to me. I think those yeah. kids all rock. They're really, really good. I think um, some of the kids in Stranger Things were actually in Super Eight. Did I got that wrong? I'm not aware. I don't think I, so. Maybe maybe I'm just putting that in my head because the, I think the, the time would disallow it because there, there's about eight to ten years between the two. Uh, but they're both period pieces, and I think maybe just because yeah. they're similar, they have that, kind of that same '80s '70s nostalgia to them. You know them. the kid in in Super Eight who's the the, the pyro? Yeah. He's not in Stranger Things? Couldn't tell you. Oh. Stranger Things is a good series. 
But I'm actually looking forward to the next season dropping. All right. Um, but yeah, back to back to Black Widow. Um, obviously, it's it's a prequel. We know we know Natasha's story. Again, she deserved her own story. She's been a, such an instrumental part of the MCU, and her death was slightly overshadowed by t- Iron Man. Although like, it it hits you so yeah. hard when that scene happens. The, the, that scene again, we're getting a little tired of that scene, but that scene is really good. But now we have the moment for her to like this is her own story. There's no other Avengers in it. It's just Black Widow's story and the conflict there. So again, this is a good idea of a good good example of a prequel where the stakes aren't, is Natasha going to survive? We know that she is. Is she going to succeed in killing this guy that she wants to kill? Like, because if not... Yeah, you're, you're never going to buy for a second that she's in danger, because she's not. Mm-hmm. She's not going to die. Yeah. You also know that she's not going to suffer some ridiculous tragedy. She's not going to lose an arm. She's not going to lose a leg. Mm-hmm. We know the character that goes into the, this, the movies that are next up in the sequence. But So the stakes have to be elsewhere. We've, we've just met... For, Arguably for the first time, th- the first three people that she ever loved. And they're, they are at risk. This is making me want to watch it again because I thought that some of the script was really, really solid mm-hmm. when it came to them. There was this one scene with Yelena where she was talking about the... the because David Harbour's character... Um, what's it? Red... Uh, what's Red it? Guardian. Red Guardian. Kind of like looks back on it, the good old days, you know? Like he, he, he well, thinks he's a, very he's fondly. He's a company man yeah. in a way. So he's a very affable and likable character. Mm -hmm. But Yelena was just a little girl when this happened. Mm -hmm. And this family, you know, was not fake to her. It was a real family to her. And when she's like lamenting about how much she she misses, how much she suffered as a consequence of losing that family, it's it's very personal and very real to her. Mm -hmm. They did a good job establishing a a believable character with her. Um, I'm excited to see what they do next. I actually need to see that film again, actually. Yeah, this is the only film on the list that we've only seen once. Uh, I've only seen Captain Marvel once. I saw it twice. I watched yeah. it. I watched it again. That's on Disney Plus, so I can go that check was, that out whenever I want. That was when I watched in preparation. I watched the whole MCU sometime last last okay. last year or two years ago. Um, so yeah, Black Widow is the only one I haven't. I've only seen once. But um, even Rachel Weisz's character was good because she's she's the mother. She's been through the program. Yeah. She knows all this stuff. And then they have again some spoiler alerts. The twist where she betrays them. She fooled me actually. Yeah, and I was like, like I buy it because again, these are yeah. these are adults sleeper cells. Like, yeah, they're, they're, designed, they're not a real family. They are designed yeah. to, to manipulate and, and trick, and then that happens. And then of course you get to pay off. Like it was a double twist. Yeah, double. She fooled thing. me. Yeah, like I actually, I was actually kind of disappointed that she was so loyal. One of the things I actually oh, didn't really too. like about the film but that, that pays off because yeah. when you realize that she didn't, you're like, yeah, ah. yeah. <laughs> I know. I was. It was almost jarring for a second that I was. I was not sure what happened mm-hmm. for a second. I, I was. Oh my God, I missed it. <laughs> like, I thought it was a continuity error for, for a second because I just didn't, you know, it just passed over me. Um, no, no, she, she makes it clear. No, I know, Natasha. I know. I'm, I'm saying it took me a second or two to oh, catch okay, up. Gotcha. Like, it was, it was so compelling that I, I, I got lost for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things they did in the film that I thought was really cool was the East to West comparisons. Uh, Eastern, versus, Eastern versus Western philosophy about, you know, the, uh, Russia versus USA. Mm-hmm. I thought they did a good job of kind of tying that in in a way that was like, Allowed for some playfulness, but also kind of gave the the film a bit more. Like we're all just looking for a good time at the same time. Yeah, like, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, um, not not in necessarily underhanded way. One of the things that drives me crazy is when a film presents two opposing sides. Like obviously, the East and the West have tension between between mm-hmm. the two of them, um, and they are philosophically separated on numbers and numbers of issues. You could you could call that the uh, continuum of 
capitalism and communism. You could divide it however you want. There's lots of different ways to splice this thing. But it's obviously a very tense thing. They didn't present one side as weak and one side as superior. They presented them both as viable. And I think that's good storytelling. Yeah. Don't don't make one weak. Don't straw man, essentially. Yeah. Don't straw man. Straw man is, is a, a BS way to try to tell your story. Um, so I did want to say... We are approaching two hours right now, and we still have maybe 10 films. This might require a part two, and if I was going to say so, ending on Black Widow might be a good good stopping point. Okay. And it'll give us a, a bunch of good material. So we'll just recap the, the remaining movies. We have Spider-Man Homecoming, Black Panther, Doctor Strange, Thor Ragnarok, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Infinity War, Endgame, and then Spider-Man Far From Home, and that's the end of the MCU arc. Okay. That's a lot of good films. Yeah. So... Before we before we cut this off, I'm just gonna ask you. Okay. Uh, multiple superhero movies aside, like like Avengers, any of the Avengers, and then Civil War don't count. What's your favorite MCU movie? I think you and I are gonna agree on this one. Mine's Thor Ragnarok. Ragnarok, yeah. Yeah. I love well, that film. Taika Waititi is a, a gift of the world. That, oh, that I man, love Taika. That man directs films. Taika Waititi, by the way. Waititi. Did, yeah. did I say Waikiki? What did you, I say? You Waititi. Said, I, it, sound, it sounded weird to me. I don't know. I, I have on occasion said Waikiki, which oh. is like I think Hawaii, but uh, no. Um, we'll do it the, the, when we do when we do our, let's do a director's podcast and we'll talk about Tarantino and and Waititi. Tarantino's going to get his own. Like they there can are, both, they can there, both get their own. There are other. Uh, well, he doesn't he doesn't have quite the body of work yet. I think to justify an entire like everything he's done, I love. You need uh, to watch what we do in the shadows. Really, it's him and and uh, Jermaine Clement. Really, okay. Yeah. Because the one that comes to mind for me, uh, even above Thor Ragnarok, is Jojo Rabbit. I love. Well, that, that came movie. out after. I know. I'm just thinking of his his body of work. Yeah. Well, um, let's just yeah, we'll talk about that. Let's let's do a podcast for each of those guys. And all right. We'll talk. About well, because them. I think at some point Christopher Nolan deserves his own podcast. If I think of somebody mm-hmm. besides Tarantino that deserves, let's do a, a dark. Let's do a Dark Knight podcast, and we'll talk about Nolan, Bale, all of it. And I, I honestly think there's there's so much more that Nolan has offered that that merits inclusion. The guy has so many films. Well, that we can do we can do the Nolan verse, Nolan verse uh, podcast. Do you th- are you are you saying that his, all his films are in the same universe? Is that what you're suggesting? That's there's that, that's the some people the think thing. that yeah because they all they all technically can. Yeah, Dunkirk is a, a bit of a stretch, maybe. Oh, okay. Puts you in, uh, you know. But like, yeah. Well, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll discuss it. We'll all discuss right, it in the podcast. All right. Well, two hours. Just like that. Cool, cool. All right. It was good talking to you. Signing off. Yeah, that was fun.